This is Ian Sattler, Senior Story Editor at DCU. Hi, this is Mildred DeFilippis. And Christina Weir. Hi, this is Kevin Vandell. Hi, this is Lieber Mayer. Hi, this is Brian Ezrelli. Hi, this is Matt Wagner, author of Batman and the Monster Man and Batman and the Mad Monk. Hey, this is Mike Martz, Batman Group Editor. Hey, this is Ethan Van Skybro. My name is Neil Adams. This is Paul Dini. This is Robert Greenberger. This is Jerry Robinson. Hey, this is uh, Will Fortaccio. This is Adam Beechin, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 110. I am your host, Dustin, and today I have with me... This is former Vice Presidential nominee, Donovan. This is Joe, the D is silent. And this is Mini Joe. No, this is Stella. And we are bringing you the latest comic book news and comic book reviews from the past two weeks. We have a total of four books that we'll be covering on this episode. We have a little bit of news specifically about the solicitations that were released for May. And then, of course, we have Bat Books for Beginners, and we will go over any listener Q&As that we may have. So let's get straight into comic news. Really, the big news that we are going to talk about is, in fact, the news about the solicitations that were released for May. Uh, we recorded the last episode almost right around the same time that they were released, and we knew they were coming. But uh, right before the solicitations were announced, it was revealed um, by DC that they were actually going to be canceling four books in May. The four books that they're canceling are Deathstroke, Savage Hawkman, Fury of the Firestorm, Ravagers, Team 7, and Sword of Sorcery. So not four books, six books. I apologize for that mistake, but nonetheless, six books is what they're canceling. Um, interestingly enough, Ravagers, Sword of Sorcery, and Team 7 are all part of the newer waves, so they did not, uh, they were not as successful as they anticipated, so unfortunately, they are not sticking around for, with those books. Deathstroke, that was only a matter of time, um, ever since the whole fiasco happened with Rob Layfield, um, I'm pretty sure it was only a matter of time before that book dropped off the face of the earth. Um, as far as Fear of the Firestorm and Savage Hawkman, they have both also been plagued with a number of creator changes uh, multiple times throughout their runs on the actual... Uh, 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 they have been plagued with creator changes throughout their entire run, so I am not that surprised. I am. I've read a couple of the issues um, from Ravagers and Team 7, just to see how it plays into some of the things happening in Birds of Prey and Team of Titans. But the other ones I have never even touched, um, except for the very first issues when I bought all 52. I'm not surprised by this, but the weird thing about them announcing all of these cancellations is the fact that we have yet to hear any news about what could possibly be replacing these six books. DC has been pretty pretty set on making sure that they have 52 books at a time, and starting in June, there'll be six books less, so that means there's a possibility of six new series starting in June, which we won't know about till probably towards the end of the month. But, nonetheless, I am still convinced, despite my um, possibility of Brett Booth being on Nightwing, as we talked about in one of the previous episodes, I'm convinced that there is, in fact, a Red Robin book coming very soon, and now June is the month that I will be claiming 
the, the month for Red Robin. Um, the other interesting thing that came out of the announcement was a number of creator changes. One of the creator changes specifically to Batwing, Fabian Asiza will no longer be on Batwing, and Justin Gray and Jimmy Palmietti will be taking over for the book. Batwing will also be getting a brand new costume in order to, I guess, deal with the transition of the creators. Now, it's, it is it is important to note that Fabian Asiza was never supposed to be permanently on the book. When he was for, it was first mentioned that he was going to be on the book, it was basically he was filling in because Winnick left and he was just filling in for the time being. So with Fabian's last issue of Batwing being released in, in April, I'm also going to go on a limb and say Fabian the size of for the Red Robin series, June 2013. So we didn't really learn a whole lot of information from the actual solicitations for May. We do, we do in fact have a couple of new annuals that will be released that we will obviously be covering once they do release. But, uh, there, there was a couple of different interesting little points that were mentioned about different things happening within the Batman universe. Um, for right now, there's no crossovers and things like that, but for some odd reason, some of the solicitations um, read key figure, strange visitor, team-ups you've all been asking for in various of the different solicitations. So I'm interested to see what exactly comes out of that, but I don't know how surprised I'll actually be from the surprise that they actually will reveal. As far as the books that will be receiving annuals in May, Catwoman, Red Hood and the Outlaws, and Batman the Dark Knight will all be receiving annuals. Those three uh, books are actually receiving annuals. <laughs> Those are the only three series that are actually receiving annuals besides Earth 2 this coming May. So we will be adding at least uh, one book to this normal podcast, and the Comic Cast Point 5 episode We'll be adding two annuals that month, so lots of books to cover in May. I mean, are these annuals even going to be worthwhile? Are, are, is DC just putting out annuals so that each book has an annual? I just don't... I yes. mean, you know Red Hood and the Outlaw? Maybe. Um, what was the other one? It was Catwoman, and what was the third? Batman the Dark Knight. Uh, you know, that could potentially be good, and I guess that may tie into... I mean, I guess we'll see whether it ties into Mad Hatter. It could, I mean, it's definitely gotten better than where it was originally. Uh, but Catwoman, maybe Batgirl will star in it just because Batgirl's annual is basically the Catwoman show. But in general, you know, the best annual has really been Batman and Robin. And I think that proves why annuals are annuals and, and should be there is that it's a great story and it's, um, it's something that, you know, they want to take time out to tell and, and use more space. But when you're paying more money for stories that are crap and aren't really worthwhile, it just kind of stinks. And I just wonder why they're doing it. Yeah, hopefully it will be something unrelated to the main story, but still worthwhile. Out of all the annuals that we've actually seen, let's see, we've seen Batman and Robin, Batgirl, Batman, and Detective Comics. Out of all those annuals, I would say two of the four were actually worthwhile. I thought Batman reintroducing the origin story of Mr. Freeze was worthwhile, and the, the recent Batman Robin annual was, was good. 
But the other two just completely fell flat for me, and I thought they were out of crap. Yeah, I don't know, because, you know, annuals aren't the mainstay sort of thing that it used to be in comics, like in the 90s. I think the 90s really push out the annuals. I don't know if there's... I don't know if annuals were out before the 90s, to be honest. Oh, no, no, no. That Well, well I know they were in Marvel. Gulp. But um, I can't remember in DC, but I, for some reason in the 2000s, they just stopped churning them out. And it's almost kind of awkward that they brought them back, because I've not seen... I know Superman had an annual, but I don't know. Annuals used to... The, I, I, I'm not sure how much I want to get to this, but it used to be a really special issue, and I think that, mm-hmm. like, it kind of depends on, I guess, the story that people want to make. I mean, that Batgirl story was a Catwoman story in disguise. And, um, other than that, Batman and Robin story was really good as anyone because it was all about the characters. And it was, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to say I have the perfect script for an annual or the perfect formula to write an annual, but you kind of got to pick and choose what kind of story you make and, you know, what kind of creative team you have and try to really make it count. But, um, I suppose. Whatever uh, is important to one writer is not important to a certain reader. The thing is, here's the thing with annuals. I don't have a problem against annuals. Annuals used to be treated as if they were an oversized story or oversized issue that told a story that you couldn't tell in a standard issue. This was back when, you know, you wouldn't take a normal comic issue and make it 10 extra pages just for the hell of it and try to charge more money for it because the, the writer wanted to have a longer story. I'm not opposed to having, you know, longer or more pages per issue and things like that. I'm not necessarily opposed to paying more for it either. But in today's society, we have how many books that have the backups inside of them outside of the Batman universe. Mm-hmm. And how many of those books are also a dollar more than they were, you know, just a couple of years back. And then you have, so you're paying a dollar more for those extra pages. The backup stories sometimes are worth it. Most of the time aren't worth it. And then in turn it gives the 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 writer of the main story the ability to just basically take over the last 10 pages to write a longer story that they couldn't write in a standard issue but to me i just i i I think that's stupid what's the point of having a book and having this this backup in the back if all you're going to do is just have your writer be able to take it over whenever they want instead of making you know certain things like annuals the place for the longer stories. I mean, I understand that, and Batman number seventeen is a perfect example of this. There was no backup; it was just a longer main story. Mm-hmm. It wasn't. It's not necessarily a bad thing. It was almost as if once we got to the end of the story and we're reading the epilogue, that was almost as if it was the back, the the backup in the back of the book because it didn't necessarily have to do with the main part of the story. But it still ties into it like they say the backups are always supposed to. The issue is, why do they keep calling them annuals and not just specials if they're not actually coming out every year? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that That's the thing that bugs me the most out of this entire situation is the fact that an annual is an annual, meaning that it comes out annually. So it just be, should be a giant or something. Yeah, a giant 80-page special or a special or whatever. They've, they've had other names for these things before. It's just that's the thing that's bugging me is why are they calling them annual when, when in May it'll be almost two years into the actual New 52. We're just seeing annuals for these four books. Meanwhile, last May we saw an annual for Batman 
the main series, but we're not going to see one this year. And if we do, it won't probably be until the end of the year. Why do why do they insist on calling them annuals if all it is is we're only doing annuals on months that have five Wednesdays so we can fill in that fifth Wednesday with stuff we normally wouldn't be able to fill in with. And because there's only about three months out of the year that have three Wednesdays, we're going to try to chop full uh, and only have select issues have annuals. Why do you keep calling annuals then? But I guess that's just a nitpick on for me. Can I also comment how annoying it was for like those four pages in the back with Cat Grant talking to random people about the new waves coming in? Or was that just me that was annoyed by it? That was that was obnoxious. Um, yeah, that was basically just a preview for what's to come with the whole Justice League of America. I was gonna say that like um, I actually don't really mind that that uh, sort of two page continuity uh, foreshadowing. I actually think it's kind of neat. My my thing is one: why is a calendar man a newsman? And two: it it was just really badly written. <laughs> I mean, well, it's badly written, but I didn't mind its presence essentially. Everyone I was, was just happy to see Ambush Bug. Ambush Bug is cool. What I was going to say is that it is obnoxious, but that, that, that doesn't mean I, it's just like Midman. I, I don't mind if it's obnoxious. So we also have some interviews that we posted up on the website uh, related to Scott Snyder talking about the end of the death of the family. We are not going to talk about those now because I'm actually going to bring those up when we talk about Batman number 17 after uh, we do the recap for that. We'll talk about some of the comments that he made about the finale. So with that, it's going to bring us straight into our first book, which is in fact back home number 17. Wonder Girl, keep him busy. I'll get Secretary General Tseng to safety. All over it, Batgirl. Batgirl number 17, Endure the Flame, written by Ray Fox, illustrated by Danielle Simp. Simperi, ish, uh, inked by Vicente Cifuentes, colored by A Blonde. Um, this issue opens up in Batgirl in the middle of a fire holding a policeman, but we actually go back 24 hours earlier to uh, Barbara Gordon recovering from the death of the family storyline, which we'll be talking about later on. Uh, she's trying to um, basically clean up the city by wrapping up and making, making sure that all the Joker's henchmen are captured by the police. So she sends out mug shots of all the uh, henchmen that she recognized due to her perfect memory and uh, to, the, to the police headquarters. And so she takes a walk. She runs into her uh, previous accomplice, Ricky, from the night, was it night? Yeah, it was night, the Nightfall storyline. Uh, makes the mistake of calling him by name. So he says, do I know you? She says, oh, no, I don't think so. And there's some odd things there. Uh, we cut to St. Luke's Hospital where Barbara Gordon Sr. is recovering from her attack from the Joker when Dr. Her Son shows up uh, in his reflect, uh, you know, reflectionless shades and uh, basically threatening her. She says she's not afraid of him, and that just makes him smile. At the police headquarters, Commissioner James Gordon and uh, Lieutenant Harvey Bullock are giving are briefing their uh, policemen on all the pictures that Batgirl sent them and special instructions to take down James Gordon Jr., who I'm glad they're acknowledging that they're still uh, that he's still released he still broke out of Arkham, or at least escaped Arkham, uh, after a scene of James Gordon Jr. Uh, dialing Barbara's number with his mom's finger. It's kind of creepy. He taunts her, and Batgirl arrives to try to uh, capture one of the escaped Joker henchmen, and she takes down she takes down some thugs before they could get the drop on some cops, but then they're attacked by uh, incoming missile. 
she recognizes through uh, James Jr.'s narration that it's not actually the Joker, but a new enemy. So Batgirl flies to the source of the the rocket and runs to Firebug. So she attacks Firebug, but he... Ha- <laughs> Let me finish this. So he attacks Firebug, and um, he gets the upper hand by planting an explosive, as all explosive villains do, that knocks out Bar- Batgirl. And uh, next, Mask of the Ashes, to be continued. This issue is the first issue not written by Gail Simone. This issue is the first issue after Death of the Family. This issue is the first issue where Batgirl goes up against Firebug, who, the only reason I'm not saying why is it not Firefly is because I recently read Gotham Central, where he apparently was a character. I don't know if he's a previous established character then, but uh, he has appeared before. Basically the same gimmick. But the real question on everyone's minds is that Ray Fox wrote this issue, not Gail Simone. So, what did you guys think? Did you care for it? Did you miss Gail Simone? Uh, let me hear what you thought. Okay, so, I'll start off. Um, I don't think it was that much different from Gail Simone, and I know that some of Come my, colleagues, my colleagues are not going to agree with me, but um, the big thing is, I couldn't really stand the, the whole narration bit. Um, I, you know, obviously, it was revealed as the story went that it came from James Gordon Jr. There's too many questions that are still. I don't know. There's I I I just and I, okay. I have to think about this in the perspective of obviously there's questions that we don't have answers for. So I cannot just sit here and say, well, it's all Ray Fox's fault because he didn't answer any questions that we already had. <laughs> but at the same point, why is there not a police guard on Commissioner Gordon's ex-wife? Why is James Gordon Jr. able to just to walk into the hospital and basically threaten her? Why did that all happen, number one? Number two, I still have very... This was really the first issue that we saw Barbara sitting in front of the computer, working on the computer, yes. you know, sending sending her, her messages to the police, informing them of things that are going on. Very Oracle-esque. Yes. And I appreciated that. Don't get me wrong, I'm not going to complain about that. I thought that was a good thing. My my concern was that she basically did it because she said because and it was it was said in it that she did it because she thought that maybe she could have the night off. Instead of going out and looking for the thugs herself, she sends this message to the cops hoping that they'll do something about it. They do, but then what does she have to do in turn? Because she tells the cops she has to go save the cops because the cops are they can't handle what she sent them to go do in the first place. It's a stupid thought. <laughs> Which anyway. thought that she could have a night off? No, that she sh- that she's going to have to. She's going to, no no. She's going to think that she can have a night off by basically pushing her her. Uh, I don't know if I want to call it responsibility, but the task at hand off to the police to take care of, and then only to have to go save the police from the situation that she has put them in. Like what? What is the whole point of that? Well, you don't basically think... the entire story was basically a circle going back to her having oh, to with the henchman in the first place. She said she didn't. You know, she was. Oh, maybe I could have the night off, and maybe the the police can deal with this, and I'll give them exactly who I remember because I have got this great memory. Well, the reason and she that's... became Batgirl was because uh, she had the call from James Junior. She wasn't Batgirl before then. That may have, that may have go to her into investigating further. And th- and that might be the case, but I didn't I didn't really like that. I read it as if she specifically heard over the police scanner that 
there was a location where there was police going in, and she specifically said to herself, well, these are rookie police who are replacing the veteran cops that Joker killed, and they don't know what they're getting themselves into, so I'm going to go save them. And to me, it's just, what was the point of sending them to go do this if she's going to have to go do it herself anyway? And then it was all great and dandy when, you know, the police are knocking on the door, the three henchmen are standing there with guns drawn, and she bursts through the window, and when the police open the door, they're all nice and tied up waiting for them. Well, it, what was the, I mean, like, wh why? Why did she even bother? Well, I think that she said, I mean, I think she had full faith in the police that they could handle the mission that she was sending them. And I think since she's gone through all the crap that she went through and death of the family, that she is kind of allowed a night off. I agree with Donovan that, I mean, she's looking, she's hearing the police dispatch at the same time that James Jr. is saying, you'll find out soon. And then there's like some sort of disturbance. So I feel like she would have let it go unless this hadn't happened because I think she felt that. GCPD could have handled wrapping up these perps, but in the end, they encountered Firebug. She makes the comment uh, that she, um, she like, like the cops that are on the force right now are rookie cops because the Joker killed the good cops. But I think that um, she, I think, I think James Warden Jr. really set her off into jumping into the costume and investigating. The, the, like, like Stella's mentioned before, there's I don't know, get your booze out, Joe. <laughs> there's a sort of Peter Parker esque kind of. Uh, nature of her, and that, you know, she has a sort of a responsibility to make sure that things kind of are carried out. I see what you're saying, Dustin, but it doesn't really bother me because I think the way that it was written, I can kind of excuse it, uh, how the sequence of events play out where she's sitting there basically being Oracle until James Gordon Jr. is, is, you know, shown that he's still on the loose. So that jumps her to, you know, making sure that nothing, nothing bad happens. So I take your point, but, but it doesn't but really she, bother me. But she knows that James Gordon Junior's on the loose when she gets back from dealing with the Joker. So, I mean, why would that be any different? Because he prompts her by calling and saying, hey, I'm still I'm still out here. So she has to get a reminder call from him to basically go out and <laughs> try to investigate what he's up to. Good point. Like, I, like I, I'm not saying I didn't like it. I do think this was a better job than Gail Simone. I'm just saying... I don't think it's that much different than what Gail Simone is doing by having all of these odd coincidences happening. Like, I'm sure it's going to be revealed at some point that Firebug is in cahoots with James Gordon Jr. Uh, that's that's Ugh. that's just you know bound to happen, and that just plays into everything that Gail Simone has done in the past. If James Gordon Jr. is not in cahoots with Firebug, then the entire reason he was in this issue is. Serves absolutely no purpose whatsoever other than just to have him in the issue. Or to fill the quotas of having a new villain every issue. That's true. So, I mean, that that was the, the one aspect. I do have to give props for the whole Oracle sequence where she's basically sitting in front of the computer doing what she used to do as Oracle. Mm -hmm. Even if it was on a much smaller scale, it was <clears throat> definitely, especially that note that said, Here's the people you're looking for, a friend. That was that was that was blatant to me as hey, we're trying to show that she still has this bit of Oracle inside of her. Which I, I applaud that. Um, the the other instance that uh, I have a problem with is the well, I, I already mentioned the whole James Gordon Jr. going into the hospital type thing. Um, I had a problem with the art when it well, I'll talk about the art later, but for the whole for the most part 
there was just a lot of coincidences that just were too happenstance for me. The cover is a little misleading. Um, cause I mean, yeah. it says her brother strikes. So you almost imagine like this, um, this One showdown on between the two. Yeah. And, and I think almost that's the way that death of the family and, and how it was left in background number 16 was really leading up to this, that perhaps when she was saved, then it was going to be out of the fire pan and into the fire with, with James Jr. And I wonder how this issue would have actually been had it been one-on-one -on -one with him having no breaks and not thinking that she's going to have one. Uh, so that's, that's interesting to think about. But now, yeah, we're, we're, we're distracted again, I think, you know, from the, from a good story or the potential of one, because now we, we do have another middle villain and how is this villain where did this person come from? What is he doing? Why isn't it Firefly? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I do wonder about that. You know, I, I actually did like the um, the narration more than I think I, I have liked it in the past. Obviously, James Jr. is the one voicing everything over. But in the beginning, when you don't really know that because it's very third person, it really felt like a silver and bronze age narration where the narrator follows her where she goes and, and gives you a clue into what she's feeling when there are no thought bubbles and everything. So I thought that that was well done. I thought that her characterization was better, um, if only because we did get to see her, you know, in front of a computer and we didn't see any face masks explode as she was fighting some people. I did wonder how James got her his mother's finger, uh, because the last we saw that, it was in a Ziploc baggie within Backroll's utility belt. And remember, he exploded the church, so I don't really think he had the time to reach into her utility belt, which probably would have been booby-trapped if she were smart. Grab the finger, and then throwing the grenade so I'm a little confused about that I didn't like the hospital scene I thought that that was just forced and it didn't seem like Bab Senior would say the things that she was saying I mean I think she'd be pretty freaked out not angry and yelling at him I mean she ran away from him because she was scared of her own seven year old child or however old he was um trying to think of anything else as I flip through this. Uh, I'm glad we get to see Jim Gordon again because he's been absent from this book for the most part. So it's good to see him get back into it and perhaps he and Babs are going to have some sort of interaction as they go for James Jr. together. I think that would be an ideal situation bringing the family back together. Um, I have a lot to say about Ricky, um, but I can't really say it. Uh, what I will say though is, um, if you read the Valentine's Day issue, there was a Batgirl story in there and it was written by Fox. Uh, so I blame him for this. So I'm sort of angry with him, but he and Batgirl, um, well, they share some proto culture. What does that mean, Donovan? Shipping. Yeah. And, um, it was just like, and it's not the uh, the cover story that she had before. Like it was a um, let's let's do this thing. And now we have this interaction here, and I'm I'm upset about it, but I'm not going to talk about it. But overall, I actually like this issue better than I have in the past. 
And even if I didn't know that it was somebody different from Simone, I think that I would say that it was, in fact, better. But just like Dustin, I think, said, um, there are just, there are so many things going on, and I think they're just confusing the main point that should be, should be going, uh, should be put forward in this book. So stick to one storyline, not have multiple things muddying the water. I also liked this more than a lot of Simone's issues. I'm hoping that's not just me recognizing that it's not her writing and wanting to like it more. Uh, yeah, no, I, I hope I wouldn't read it like that. Um, I think something that helped me like it more is the fact that not so much the narration from James Gordon Jr. I think it was more the fact that we weren't getting a narration from Barbara Gordon because mm-hmm. at the moment she's not being written very well. And I, I think that helps not being in her head when she's just, when she's, you know, going out on patrol and then thinking about something completely different and unrelated and very annoying to all of us. Um, I, I, I quite liked James Gordon Jr. I, I was kind of trying to work out if he was being written correctly, but I guess if he's off his meds, he would be a bit crazier. I did really like his line about, on a scale of one to ten, how many? How are you feeling? Hold up your fingers. Um, <laughs> but then, when he used the finger on the touchscreen phone, I mean, that wouldn't work because yeah, that finger would be cold and they're heat <laughs> So, dear. I mean, but uh, yeah, I mean, I liked it. it was, yeah, like Dustin was saying, it's not a, a great issue, but I did like it more. I definitely appreciated the uh, the more detective aspect. In the beginning, but first, I mean, I, first I thought it was a flashback because it says about the injuries from the Joker, and you see her sitting down in front of the computer. But then reading on, you find out that it's just post death of the family. But yeah, I, I liked it more, but it's, it's still not fantastic. I think that uh, this issue has its flaws. I think that its flaws are um, kind of sizable. I think that. Uh, this wasn't, I think that this is not the best Batgirl issue that, that's ever been, but I still think that at the end of the day it was a good issue. I agree with Joe that I liked the narration in that it wasn't Barbara Gordon's narration, because I don't know if it's Gail Simone or just this Barbara Gordon's personality, like this New 52 Barbara Gordon, but like, I don't really care for narration, but the narration, and the narration wasn't brilliant in and of itself, but for me, I kind of roll with it better, and I don't know what it is, but that made Barbara Gordon a lot much more of an easier character to take. Uh, this felt this felt a lot more how I kind of wanted the series to be. And that Barbara Gordon, you know, she's trying her best. She's doing what she wants to do. She's doing what she needs to do. But she's not like... She's not being a tool about it. I, I, I'm not sure if I'm explaining it correctly, but like... She doesn't have the stuck-up personality in this issue that she kind of has in a lot of the issues. She's just sort of, you know, just trying to be a superhero. Um... And I think that goes, that actually goes a long way towards, you know, whether the issue is good or not, we gotta be behind, we gotta be behind the character. And, you know, typically it's just, a lot, a lot of the issues that I don't like rest on Barbara Gordon's really annoying portrayal. But I can't say that here because I like, I like how she was doing. I like the idea that even when she's sort of, you know, convalescing and, you know, recovering from her injuries, she's, she's still trying to do, you know, help the police by fighting crime. And the way she does that is through, through a computer. I think that's pitch perfect characterization, no matter which continuity it is. I don't think that could have been done any better. I really do not. Um, I, I like the scene where she took down the, 
the criminals and like uh, she was gone before the cops came in. I thought that was pretty cool. To me, that kind of harkened back to the old Batgirl issues where, I don't know, I, I felt like she was a lot more of a credible, capable crime fighter in this. Even though we saw her, you know, that she, that she wasn't made of stone. And I was kind of intrigued by the super... I, mean, I agree that, like, the supervillain a week kind of stick in her... This title is getting a little bit annoying. But to me, this feels like a, this feels like a more run-of-the-mill, you know, com- comic booky superhero than, like, the really emo, you know, Gretel, grotesque kind of people that we've been going up against. This feels a little bit more... Again, I'm not sure how to, how to explain this, but I'm a lot more open to this kind of character. And again, granted, I've, I've actually seen this character before. It's it's a firefly knockoff, but um, yeah, whatever. It's it's you know a flamethrower guy. He's not saying I'm burning the city down because my daughter was you know uh, shoved in a microwave when I was trying to make pizza or anything like that. He doesn't have the stupid backstory. So I'm I'm down for this storyline. I'm down for Fox writing Batgirl for what we get get for it and. Um, whether it's Simone or not, because Simone's wrote, wrote, written a couple of issues that I've, been, I've overall liked, but this style of, of taking the Batgirl title and the, the Batgirl story, to me, is a lot more uh, agreeable. I suppose the only other thing I can, I, that's really of note is James Gordon Jr. and how he's still an ever-present uh, specter over Barbara Gordon and Batgirl. Um, <coughs> excuse me. One thing that I didn't really like was the idea that James Gordon Jr. knows Batgirl's mind inside and out. I don't know why. That just, I mean, we're still in the, he was still in, in Arkham, uh, Arkham Asylum, uh, in issue one of Batman. Although I guess in this continuity, he wouldn't be away with his mom because she ran away. So like, I guess, I suppose they're going with the idea that like, he's been living with them all their lives, but it felt really weird. Just like, you know, I, I know everything about you, Barbara, just because we're related. I don't know. It's like, you know, when, when he says, um, when he says those goons had nothing behind their, besides their guns, I know her so well. I can practically hear the gears turning in her head. You know, I'm pretty close to my brother, but I don't really think that whenever I imagine him doing something. I'm not that, you know, telepathic. So I thought that was a little odd. And I think that, like, if he's going to be like this whole look inside your soul kind of villain, I, I, I think that kind of trades one potential of a villain for another. What are you guys thinking? Honestly, James Gordon Jr. in this issue just seems a little too, I mean, I don't, I don't know if it's just because of the characterization that Simone has done over the past year and a half since the book launched, but this character has gone from just being the creepy guy who just, you know, does creepy things to I'm, I'm, if I'm off my meds, I'm nuts and I'm crazy and I'll do all kinds of weird and crazy things no matter what. That's not how he was originally written when he first you know, appeared in this new continuity part thing when uh, Black Mirror was happening. That's not how he was. It wasn't, oh, uh, if I don't take my meds, I get all uh, happy-go-lucky and, and crazy. It wasn't like that. It was, if he didn't take his meds, he would do bad things. And that's what it was. I mean, realistically, the characterization has changed so dramatically over the past year and a half that it's kind of disappointing what Simone has done to the character from the, what she had to go off of with uh, Scott Snyder. And I think part of that has carried over now to Ray Fox with this issue because why is he calling her on the phone using the you know severed finger? It's just, it's out of character. He's not the type of person who 
flaunts the fact that he's crazy because he's not crazy. He's just a psychopath. <laughs> you want to rephrase that? He's not crazy. He's just a sociopath. Much better. So, my in my mind, I just feel as if they've turned him into this this nutty person who just happens to know everything there is about Barbara. But don't you think that okay, a nutty person that happens? So you don't think there's any trait of the James Junior that we saw in Mirror in Snyder's run? I don't. I wouldn't say that there's absolutely none, but I think that you know. The biggest thing is he's doing these things that are just out of character. When the whole situation happens with Joker during Death of the Family, and he basically says, yeah, Joker, you can have my sister, and I'm going to walk out of here. And then we have that whole thing with the, the fake grenades, the real grenades. What what did that any of that have to do with what we originally saw? He wasn't out in the open blatantly uh, scheming plots with with uh, other villains during Scott Snyder's run. He was on his own taking, taking you know, just committing murders because he felt the necessity to commit murders. I mean, really, in the only the only murder he did was that person that we saw was the person who was in the uh, basement that he, he strung up during Black Mirror. And then, you know, he goes after Barbara and stabs her in the legs during the conclusion of that story. But... He did that because, you know, I mean... He's not, more, he's not a raving lunatic. Yeah, he's not... He, I mean, he's he is definitely a sociopath. He has tendencies to obviously kill people. But the point... Uh, the, I mean, the whole point that we've been told from the very beginning is that he's a person who just ha- feels absolutely no emotion whatsoever. But that counteracts everything that we've learned about the character since Gail Simone's running because... He finds the necessity to buddy up to this girl who, who's the roommate to, to Barbara. What, what, well, why does he need to buddy up to her? What, he doesn't feel any emotions. So if he doesn't feel any emotions, why does he need to have this, uh, you know, faux girlfriend? It do, that doesn't make any sense. And how does the girl not see right through the fact that he has absolutely no emotions? How is it that he finds the necessity to say he's going to save their mother so that what he can take it out, take him out herself. If he feels no emotion, why would he care whether or not the Joker takes out his mother or if he takes out the mo- his mother? Like it doesn't matter. Like you're telling me he hasn't had the chance to to take out his mother at all over all these years. I mean, I don't know. It's just it's it's out of character from what the character was originally. They might be changing it completely because that's what they want to do, but it's not the character that we originally saw. I see what you're saying. I think it's just bad. I don't say bad writing, but like, I think that uh, I don't know if Fox is basing it off of Simone stuff. I, I I think Simone. I think everybody liked the James James Gordon Jr. storyline from Detective Comics that Sky Snyder wrote, but they took that in like it's a lot, it's a lot like the Joker. Oh, he kills people. Oh, he's crazy. Okay, I want to do that and interpret that the way I want to do that. And James Gordon Jr. Yeah, he had one storyline to kind of go on, but half that storyline he was very sneaky and you know wasn't overt and he taunted people and stuff like that but he wasn't he was very unpredictable and this it's almost like he, he can't hide in this story he can barely hide the fact that he's crazy and the whole scene with his mom was just really pointless just i guess you could say he's striking terror into her but whatever to me i just, I just think like i wish that he was in another book because I, I don't think he can really survive uh in this one 
Alright, so Batgirl number 17, I'm going to give a total of 2 out of 5 batterings. I'll give this... Honestly, I'll give this three and a half out of five batterings. I, I overall enjoyed it. It was it wasn't it was flawed, but the pros outweighed the cons. I think I'll split the difference and go for three out of five batterings. And I will go with three out of five as well. Alright, so that is going to give back row number seventeen a total of three out of five back batterings. Let's go into our next book, Batman Robin number seventeen. You can't let your emotions get the best of you. Batman and Robin number 17. Life is but a dream. Writer Peter J. Tomasi, penciler Patrick Leeson, inker Mick Gray, and colorist John Kalitz. Batman and Robin return to the cave after a long night, disrobe, and chomp down on some classic vittles from Alfred. Alfred, Bruce, Damien, and Titus are tired and go to bed. Now, inside of a submarine, we all live in a Damien looks out upon nobody. His mother, Dick, Joker, and Jason all chained to the seafloor and dead. A second Damien bloop, pops up and questions the first why he has Batman's head inside of a cow. Who do know? And the response is that he has shown both sides of himself just as Bruce has. He also has a batarang to remind him that he is a Wayne first and Al Ghul second. One of the Damians then sees Alfred recently dropped into the sea with a rock and chain, struggling to survive, and Damian fights against the glass in desperation, but to no avail. Damian wakes up, and he discovers, so that was all dream people, Damian wakes up and discovers a robin at the end of his bed. He lets it go and fly towards something. Titus and Damien take off, with Damien hanging on Titus and leading the way towards Thomas Wayne's special place. The Robin leads the way to Bruce in a chair looking at a bus. The Robin leads the way to Bruce in a chair looking at a bus, just as he did in year one. A bat has crashed in, and, uh, well, he happens to be sucking Batman's blood, so Batman's about to become Edward Cullen, who'd have thunk? Oh, with Batman asking Damien to join him. Damien wakes up. So is a dream within a dream. Hello, Inception. Thomas Wayne is showing something in a red box to Alfred, asking what he thinks. Thomas gives the gift, a string of pearls, to Martha, and Bruce ties them on. As they go off, Alfred sees bats coming from a refrigerator. Somebody call 1-800-YOU-KNOW-WHO. Opens it and descends into the cave to see Joker whack a moling a Joker-fied pile made up of Batman, Dick, Jason, Damien, Tim, and Batgirl, who happens to wear something closer to Cass's costume than her current 52 one, though let's not speak of Cass in front of Donovan. Alfred tells the clown to stop. Joker says, make me, and Alfred pulls the trigger on a shotgun, taking Joker's head clean off. Alfred wakes up and smiles. Pearls fall through the sewer. Batman builds a boat out of an old playbill for the Mask of Zorro. But he can't just build a boat, says Thomas, hoping that darkness will sail away in it. The boat grows in size, splitting Martha, Batman, and Thomas up within the sewer and washing Batman out to the bay where several villains are waiting for him. Batman defends the boat from the villains, but it... But a giant whale that has a coloring pattern of Joker, did you notice that? Did you, did you? Swallows the whale, a la Moby Dick. Batman is drowning until Damien reaches his hand down and pulls him up. Bruce wakes up and says, Damien. He goes to Damien's room, tucks him in, and leaves. 
Another night, after a long patrol filled with lots of activity, has Damien and Bruce sharing some food and water atop a church as the sun rises. Batman asks whether Damien realizes this is a dream, and he says he does, and one from which he does not want to wake up. Precious. Well, first of all, I do have to say that I felt like I was on LSD while reading this issue, but it still was pretty awesome in my uh, in my opinion. I thought it was the best of this batch of books. First question. How well do the dreams stand up to current and past stories? So things that have been going on. And uh, do they do a sufficient job at depicting the characters? Do you think? Um, I love this issue as well. I think I was actually re- remembering as you were g- going through your LSD and the synopsis, which is always awesome. That uh, um, I kind of ha- I don't know if I should say this, but I kind of have dreams like these, so I kind they kind of hit home for me how they're really sort of surreal and uh, there's a lot of ma- dreams are always sort of like this magic realism where something is always off where you know it's not right, but you go along with it anyway, so because it speaks to your subconscious or whatever. So on the dream end. I thought it spoke a lot. I thought this was extremely in character. I think that Peter Tomasi execution, you know, he might uh, turn on the heat in terms of some of the execution, but he gets the characters well a lot. He knows he knows what makes them tick, especially Damien. Um, I think that um, I thought it was a little odd that um, Batman said, get off my boat, but that was a dream. But what I really liked was uh, seeing Alfred gun down the Joker. And then wake up and smile that he dreamed about that. Because to me, that is Alfred's character. Alfred has slightly different more, slightly different morals than Bruce does. So he does wield a gun. He tried to kill Tony Zuko once. So I'll, if you're going by year three, which is probably not going anymore. But um, I, I like the idea that all these characters... Incl- I, like the fact, I like the fact that this included Alfred anyway. It wasn't just a uh, Dick and, a Batman-Robin thing. Um. So I thought a lot of this was really great. I like the fact that Bruce was dreaming of his parents and it led to Damien because that's sort of a connection. That's sort of a familial connection there. And that, I can't say much more than that, but I thought that this was really perfect. I thought the characterization was spot on. Um, I'm not going to go into super depth because it's pretty much it, this issue echoes my feelings of the annual. Um, clearly, the relationship between Bruce and Damien has grown a lot since the beginning and this is just another issue, I guess, that's not an annual, cementing the fact that the relationship has grown. This issue is very weird, obviously. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know, I really, I did really like it. It's just really, it's kind of like, I'm not really sure why, because I, I feel like I should want stories which are more in continuity and stuff and lead towards more storylines and stuff, but, I think because you got another three, just you know, three Batman titles, and then all the family titles doing that already, it's nice to have a break, especially after things like Death of the Family. And I, yeah, I really liked. It. I think that some of the characterizations did come through, but it was, um, yeah, it's just cool. It's definitely, really a good chance for Patrick Leeson to do some more weird artwork and mm-hmm. it, it works well i i did really like it mm-hmm. yeah i i definitely agree and i i liked how the dreams talked about current stories like just death of the family that he actually tackled that and then we also went back to something that's consistently been on uh 
or will always be, I think, on Bruce's mind, you know, his parents' death and everything that went down. And then, and then Damien, sort of this conflict that he has between being Bruce's son and Talia's son. And I just thought that, uh, that was great. And nobody, I loved how nobody popped up in, in, uh, at least two of those dreams in different ways. Uh, so I thought that was great. Uh, my second question, how does this story work? As a one-off slash transit, I'm going to assume that it's a, a one-off slash transition between death of the family and the next story that will be taking place. I think that like Joe, like Joe said, this is a very logical thing for a writer to do. Give the readers a break, especially in, you know, the Sea of Batman titles. Get, you know, give them, give them a resting period. And honestly, comics used to do this, like, do things like this all the time. This is an introspective characters issue and, you know, a character based title. We need more issues like this. We really do. We need more issues where it's just, you know, a quiet night. Things really aren't happening. And the things that are happening speak more to the character than a progression of any sort of storyline. Because the storyline will, will, will happen in one way or another, but the characters always move it along. Like, honestly, this is really one of the best titles, like, 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 like good or ill that, that Batman title, but the Batman run of titles has out there right now. It really, really is. And I think that it works well because you know, this is an issue you can kind of pick up and, you know, you don't need to go, you don't need to know what's happening. You just need to read the situation of Batman and Robin. I think it speaks well to both characters. I think that the one panel with the Joker's, or I'm sorry, Alfred's dream of the Joker and the Bat family, um, I think that it's interesting because this title is very, very continuity, uh, friendly in that it plays on continuity, but this is the one, this and Batman Inc. and Batman by Scott Snyder, I feel are like the few titles that really don't have not changed from the new 52 from the old continuity to the new 52. And, um, it's interesting to me that like, we have all these, like, all these group shots of the bat family, which I was thinking for a while that like, I might expand on this a little more in the Batman review, but this iteration of the bat family really hasn't hung out all, all that much together. So I always find it interesting that like Batman's always referring to him as the family. And, you know, we all love each other on this stuff since despite the fact that the, uh, the context was completely different beforehand, but I'll get into that later. But, that being said, you know, I want to see more like this. I like, I want to see more of this stuff in comic books. I really do. I want to see more of like, you know, the writer showing us how much we, how, the writer presenting how much these characters are worth being reading, are worth reading for, how much we should, you know, appreciate them, how much they can present, present as characters, how kind of, you know, deep they are, how kind of thought provoking the subject matter is, you know, and just the strength of the artist. I mean, a lot of this is relying on art. There's not really a script here. And, Patrick Gleason is a master at this sort of like this really car- cartoony imagery that's going on. So I this was this was I forgot the question, but <laughs> I would like more of this, please. I also think that this dealt more realistically with what had happened in Death of the Family and dealt with the the past storylines more effectively and a lot more genuinely than it would, you know. I, th- I feel we normally see, because I mean, take Batgirl for instance, she's sitting there and she goes, oh yeah, well, all of this happened last week, so, or last month, so, you know, now I'm gonna deal with it. Whereas this, you see it more, uh, it sort of flows into this and into their dreams and stuff, and they don't need to talk about it, and you don't need any narrations, you just see it's there, and it's, it's more natural, and I, I thought it was more effective for being that. And, like Don said, I mean, I'd love to see more stuff like this. I'm getting, into the slightly more surreal and d- definitely more character based because 
it's not fun to, to see Batman punching someone in the face every week. I, I like to see, you know, who he is behind the cowl and stuff and have that developed. So definitely like to see more of this. The evolution of Joe's taste on Patrick Leeson's art has been fascinating to watch for the past year. Yeah, yeah even I recognize that. But, uh... Um, I, yeah, I definitely agree that it was, number one, I think it's a nice break from a really heavy storyline uh, that we've had in Death of the Family and all of those crazy things that have been going on. And, and I know that the bad offices in DC think that Batman needs to be dark consistently, but I think we as readers, it's it's almost like this emotional and <laughs> my gosh, it's like a metaphysical burden that is like placed on us. And and I don't know about you, but just sometimes after like really dour books, one after another for consistent weeks, it just is like oh, it's it's so it's heavy. Um, and so it's great to have the annual that we had, and then this one, which of it's you know it's not without its dark moments, but it was certainly uplifting. I think in in several of its dreams. So that was great. Uh, and my final, my final question. Gotta delve into your Freudian side here. What are your thoughts on some of the more symbolic dreams and their meanings? <laughs> I've already kind of said that. I don't really know what was <laughs> going, going on, on and why I liked it. I yeah. just hit. But, uh, I guess you, in Alfred's, I mean, you get to see how much he loves the family and, that, mm-hmm. that he wants to protect them, so that was good. Um, I definitely liked his smiling afterwards. I thought that was funny. I think that, like, the Batman one where his parents said, you know, you don't... I forget what, exactly what they said, but, you know, basically, they said, stop what you're doing. Oh, uh, you can't just build a boat and hope darkness... Yeah. Sorry, yeah. And hope darkness actually sails away. Um, I think it's like, you can't hold on to the past. Just try to, you know, try to try to live up to your memories of the past by building your future. Because the last image you see, he's his little Damien smiling with his hand throughout the water, and Batman smiling too, and they grasp hands like it's Batman forever. <laughs> and like that's the first thing he says as he wakes up. So I think that that was sort of, uh, and I think that's sort of a theme of Batman, an unspoken theme of Batman. You know, trying to keep the past alive by making up for it with, with what you do in the future. You know, Bruce can, like, I talk. He can say my parents are dead all as, all he, as much as he wants, but that's not going to really solve anything. His actions and how his actions influence the characters that are close to him, like Alfred and his adopted sons, daughters, and the people who uh, who are his friends. That all builds a future that he really wants, and I think that like he doesn't seem to realize that a lot. I think that he can, he tends to go for that, but a lot of times his thirst for justice ends up being a lot more self-serving. Then um, I think he intends, but it always goes back to what he's trying to do and how he's and how he sort of like you know uh, establishes that through other people. Uh, I think I think Alfred's is pretty self uh, self um, explanatory that he wants to keep his family safe and the lady is dealing with the Joker, especially since the Joker kidnapped him first. The first thing he would like to do, you know, is blow that sucker's head off. I think Damien's was the most o- oblique in the bat, like the double dream scene. Um. First of all, I thought I thought I kind of thought that it was a dream because him riding the dog. I don't think any child could actually do that. I'm not sure how. And I've tried. <laughs> yeah, I, I I can't try with my dog. But uh, <laughs> I um. Still with my dog. But um, I I mean I thought that was kind of cool how they sort of teased that it it wasn't really over. But the whole thing with the bat sucking his blood, I'm not sure what that meant to be honest. I I don't know. Um. 
maybe maybe Damon's afraid of what he he might become as Robin under his father's tutelage, but we've never seen Damien hesitate when his father, you know, is doing something. I mean, maybe this were in Dark Knight, because we saw Damien really sort of uh hesitant when Batman decided to, you know, <laughs> spread his blood all over Gotham City. <laughs> literally. Um but I, yeah, that's the that's the one that kind of has me arching my eyebrow in, in um in uh, consideration because I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying it doesn't make any sense, but I can't immediately figure out what that might infer. Um, um, if anybody has any suggestions, I'm, op- I'm open to them. Uh, you could possibly, I was sort of thinking about it now, could possibly be the idea of the bat and because it's a vampire bat, it's obviously sort of leeching blood off of Batman and then the symbol of the bat sort of taking, taking over Bruce as a person because he hasn't got the cowl on. So turning him more into just the Dark Knight and and Batman rather than a than a person, and that, that might possibly speak. It's in Bruce's dream, he's dreaming of himself as Batman. He, he's not just Bruce in any of it. Even when he's with his parents, he's still just he's in the the cape and cowl and everything. Um, a couple of the things I I thought that Damien's dream was the most intriguing to me. Um, especially the the double Damien. And him, like, sort of talking to himself. And I think it's very telling who was sort of drowning in the water that Talia was in there, as well as the Bat family. But Batman was not in there. Um, and then when Alfred floated down, you could kind of tell that I think that relationship has has budded as well. And that he feels close to Alfred because you saw his desperation. He wasn't freaking out about seeing Talia in there or Dick or Jason, uh, but when he saw Alfred floating down, that really freaked him out. Uh, and just the, I, I think that having Talia already mm-hmm. chained to the C4 and everything, but him holding on to a battering and Batman's cow, which then turns into a head within a cow, really shows that I think between the two, if the two Damians, one represents like his dedication to the Al Ghouls and the other represents his dedication to the Waynes, I think that we're really shifting towards his dedication to being a Wayne more than an Al Ghul. And the, the, the wording, uh, certainly fits with that. Uh, I really like Joe's take on the, um, the, the Batman. I, I could definitely see that because that is certainly something that the cowl does, um, is that it really does sort of take your soul because you, I don't think he'll ever want to put it down until it's, <laughs> until he's dead. Uh, the other one with that giant whale and everything, I almost see the boat as being representative of Gotham City because he says, get off my boat and look who's attacking all those villains. And so if he sees Gotham City as his own city, he's trying to protect it, get people off of it. And look, the whale is the thing that destroys it. And the whale has got this green and, and white tint. Um, its lips have a red around it that is pretty apparent. Uh, so very, I, I think it's pretty obvious that it was representing <laughs> Joker. And, and Joker is really the one that I think has come closest to like sort of toppling his city and everything and, and, and destroying that. I love that Alfred, you know, coming down, shoot, not hesitating at all. I think it really shows his protective nature over the entire family. Um, and then just the end, I thought it was just great having Tomazi end on that, that great note, just them having a great splash page with his, uh, with Robin's eyes looking over and you've got all of the different, uh, fights going on, sharing bread and water, really what makes up life, uh, bread and water, and then just sitting there atop of the church and just having a real father-son moment. Um, overall, I think they were great. Of course, it'd be funny if 
Tomasi just thought, let's make them think we're crazy and had no reason behind it. But I doubt it. I think that he's too good a writer for that. But I just thought it was wonderful. You know, I actually, I actually think it's rather, I don't know if it's just sad or sick that like he sees Damien, or not Damien, uh, Damien sees Talia among all the people in the water. That's really <laughs> kind of depressing when I think about it. Because I know that like he's with Batman now. And Talia did take over his, and, and Morrison's run manipulate his body to beat up Dick Grayson. But I, I don't know, that kind of makes me feel bad for him a little bit. Not too bad, but bad nonetheless. Also, also you see Dick, Tim Drake's missing. I guess he's not, he's so inconsequential to Damien's mind that he, he doesn't deserve a death scene. Alright, so Batman and Robin number 17, I'm going to give a total of three and a half out of five batteries. Yeah, I'm giving this a five. Like, like, come on. I will give this a four out of five batteries. And I will go with my partner in crime, 5 out of 5. Alright, so that is going to give Batman Robin number 17 a total of 4 out of 5 batteries. Let's move into our next issue, Detective Comics number 17. <laughs> now, what was that you were saying? About the quality of the competition? No more games. You want me? Here I am. Detective Comics number 17, written by John Lehman with art by Jason Fabok. The issue opens with some backstory on Dr. Meredith, the controversial psychiatrist who was found burnt to death in the last issue. We then see Batman arriving at his fire-damaged office, hoping to find clues as to the target of the League of Smiles' next attack, when he is jumped by essentially a transvestite Bane, but Batman takes him out via pressure points and finds Dr. Meredith's hard drive, which miraculously survived the blaze, and takes it back to the Batcave to investigate. Batman doesn't find any leads on the Merrymaker, but does find files on the three members of the League of Smiles, all with feelings of needing to be commanded. Just then, Batman hears of more murders over the police scanner, and uses the photogrammetric scanner to visit Gordon and Bullock in the morgue. Batman realises that the victims were just staged to look like Joker victims. He also gets a lead on the Merrymaker and tells Gordon and Bullock to visit an address. Batman arrives at the Gotham's Children's Hospital, where the League of Smiles are just about to enter. Batman antagonises them before grappling up to a window in a tower block. Smashing through the window, Batman stops the Merrymaker from slitting a woman's throat and punches him in the face, breaking his mask a la Barbara Gordon, the Merrymaker is revealed to be none other than Dr. Meredith. It's revealed that Meredith changed his dental records with the help of his dentist henchman. The woman who Meredith was just about to kill was his wife, and when the League of Smiles found out that they were just being used as distractions, they beat him to within an inch of his life before Batman stops them. We then cut to Ogilvy being told that Batman knows the deaths were not Joker-related, but Ogilvy is not concerned as the end result is just the same. Then we have the backup, Doctor's Orders, written by John Lehman, with art by Andy Clark. And in summation, Meredith is in a psychiatric evaluation when he admits to profiting on the effects, on those affected by the Joker. And he hopes to go to Blackgate, but the psychiatrist somewhat sadistically sends him to Arkham as a psychopath. The end? First question I have is, did anyone find it interesting that Lehman wrote a story under the pretense of death of the family about a villain committing crimes under the cover of the Joker. 
seems slightly meta to me. Did it? Did this start though? Before was it in Detective that this was happening? Before where that kid cut his face off? Or well, that was that the last another issue? Yeah. But that okay. was the, the, yeah, the family time. Okay. So, well, I think that I understand what you're saying. Like we should be done and over with this. But I think that because of everything that happened with Joker, he would have this sort of impact on the city. And once he comes out, it does seem sort of like this, this strange cult that when he comes out, people are going to want to do things that are crazy and sort of get in the limelight with him. And once Joker is done, I don't think the after effects are going to be, um, short lived as well. So I didn't really enjoy the story, but I think in context, it does make sense that there's going to be some leftovers from Joker and that these people are going to be taken down. Um, and I think that's good also for Batman because it's just going to wear on him. So it could be a good story. Just the fact that even though Joker is done, he's still cleaning up the mess that he's left. And, and this may lead to a, a good story. I think that the whole idea of this was, it was kind of like an epilogue to Death of the Family. The timing of it's not the best, but at the same point, I don't, it wouldn't have worked last month. But we talked about how last month Detective Comics was kind of it seemed as if it was the wrong, wrong in the wrong month because of the things that was Bat- that Batman was dealing with in this specific series at the same time that he was dealing with completely unrelated, uh, different location type events at a different location. So, I think overall, um, this was almost as if it was an epilogue to kind of wrap things up, shift from Joker back over to uh, Ovalve. Uh, we know Ogilvy is going to be the center of everything that's going on f- moving forward. So I can see, you know, it's really just, to me, it came across as if it was supposed to be a shift back to what was originally planned. Okay. Um, the other thing I have is what are people's opinions on Ogilvy and have they changed? Because uh, I know we're all quite excited about the idea of him being a lead character, but it seems that for the last two issues at least... All he's done is turn up for one page in the issue and go, this is the dawn of Emperor Penguin, and that was mm-hmm. it. Yeah, and this was just one page here at the epilogue, and and then right underneath the epilogue, uh, it says one penguin too many, so it seems like there there is going to be something that, that'll come to a head between the two. I do like Ogilvy, uh, but I think <clears throat> that we, just like in Batgirl, we're getting distracted potentially from a good story and focusing on him. Um and it seems like we were setting some stuff up with him and his little, his motley crew that he had. But here we're distracted by Death of the Family and then we've got the Merrymaker and everything. So I'm afraid that if Penguin's coming back next issue, which is really what it seems, that it's going to be all too short of a show for Ogilvy and we won't really get to see him again. I hope Ogilvy kills the Penguin. Wow, that'd be weird. It'd be weird, but then we wouldn't have to be blatantly <laughs> smacked in the face with a Penguin yeah. cameo you know, every other week. It's true, and maybe that was the purpose in doing that, because I feel like there there's some reason for putting him out there so much, so maybe if they're showing him so often, then it will be such a shock to have a mainstay character taken off of the roster. Yeah, I'm still excited for the storyline, but it seems to have definitely... My excitement's been subsided somewhat. But um, I, I don't think so much... I, I know Justin had this theory about him possibly trying to take down Batman... Uh, Penguin from the inside, I think, now that... I guess you never said that he was a good guy, 
Um, and he's, he's definitely killed people, but, so that could still play into it, I guess. But I would, I'm definitely looking forward to that storyline and I hope it starts next issue. Yeah, I, I think they're going to play this off for a while. I mean, I said I wouldn't talk about the Scott Snyder interviews, but it specifically said in one of the Scott Snyder interviews, somebody asked the question of, well, where's Riddler, Two-Face, and Penguin? And he specifically and directly stated, well, they're locked up now. That's where they're, you know, they're all locked up. So Penguin shouldn't be appearing in these books, even though I'm sure he will be. So it's a matter of, you know, how exactly are we going to, you know, obviously this Ogilvy thing works if Penguin is locked up because Penguin's gone. Someone needs to manage the empire that Penguin has created over this time, this period of time. Um, but at the same point, you know, I don't know that Ogilvy it just it's hard to say because as, as as interesting as the character is, I don't know how well he's going to be able to do. And honestly, the solicitation for May, well, I shouldn't say the solicitation, but the cover for May doesn't really do the character of Ogilvy a lot of justice because it almost looks as if he is Ogilvy mutating into some weird mutant with wings. And uh, I'm kind of scared for where this story could be going if that's actually the case. Alright, so Detective Comics number 17, I'm going to give a total of 4 out of 5 batarangs. I will give this issue 3 out of 5 batarangs. I will also give this issue 3 out of 5 batarangs. I, uh, there was just so much going on. I liked the twist that it, it happened to be the doctor, but there was just a lot that I think was muddying uh, this story, so I'll give it 2.5 out of 5. Alright, so that's going to give Detective Comics number 17 a total of 3 out of 5 batarangs. Let's move into our last book, Batman number 17. Let's do it! And tonight you're going to break your one rule. Written by Scott Snyder, art by Greg Pulo. The issue starts off with basically Batman dreaming of a skeleton of a bat coming towards him as the Joker is narrating things. Turns out he's not actually dreaming, but is in fact coming to uh, consciousness from his electrocution that we saw in the last issue. As he awakes, they are inside the cavern of what appears to be the Batcave, and we see not only multiple flies flying around, but the bodies of Jason, Tim, Damien, Dick, and Barbara sitting at the table with sacks over their heads. Joker goes into a long explanation about don't try to escape, because if you try to escape, they're all soaked in gasoline, and in fact, if you were your chair moves, you'll actually set off a spark that will cause them all to ignite. So don't even try to escape. He then proceeds to explain that, in fact, he is trying to do him a favor by making sure that they all are taken out. Alfred then appears, after a bell is rung, to serve dinner, and we see that Alfred is, in fact, uh, a jokerized version of Alfred, and he has... He appears as if he's been jokerized for quite some time. As he starts to serve dinner, Joker takes off the sacks off of all of the allies, only to see all of their faces bandaged and bloodied, and Batman is led to believe that he did in fact cut off all their faces as he removes the actual covers from the platters that are serving dinner, and we see 
the faces of all of the bat family sitting inside of the plates. And inside of a heart. Yeah, for Valentine's Day. So as he proceeds to tell Batman that he did this because he's trying to, in fact, help Batman become a better, better hero, we then see numerous exchanges back and forth, back and forth about how ultimately Batman didn't tell the Bat family about the fact that the Joker was in the Bat cave because, in fact, Batman knows the truth, and the truth is that he himself makes Batman a better villain. Or makes makes Batman a better hero. He then proceeds to pull out his little black book that supposedly has all of the secrets inside of it. And as that happens, Batman realizes that something's off and actually uh, moves his chair. In turn, the flames go up. Batman escapes from the chair. He shoots up an explosion that causes the water to gush down and extinguish the fire right away. He unties the uh, Bat Family, only to find out that, in fact, all of the Bat Family's faces are still intact, and there is nothing absolutely wrong with their faces. We then see the mutated lion cub has a bomb inside of it, but as it is not an actual bomb, it's actually a bomb that releases Joker gas, the Bat Family starts attacking themselves. As Batman tries to go after Joker, who is... Running through the caverns, he comes across the Joker as he swings an axe at him. Batman explains that um, you don't you don't know anything, you don't know anything, and you're 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 proving absolutely nothing. Joker says, "No, your, your family is going to kill itself because I've given them a new potent, more potent Jokerized gas, and they're going to kill each other." It's it's ironic because I don't even have to do anything. As Batman then gets squirted into the face with uh, some acid from his Joker, you know, from his lapel flower, uh, he runs off and comes to a waterfall. He's about to fall, and Joker sits there and says, and Batman says, not that way, Joker, you're not going to die by accident. We then cut back to the Bat family, who is attacking each other very viciously, and we see Alfred actually crack first and say no, 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 and you realize that they're all starting to actually get control over what they're actually doing. Batman then tells the Joker he knows his family will get control and they will not kill each other because, in fact, they he knows his family better than anybody. Um, he then proceeds to tell the Joker that he knows the Joker's most darkest secret because he actually knows the Joker's real name. As he gets real close to whispering into Joker's ear, Joker uses his electric buzzer on Batman's face and jumps off of the waterfall. As he falls, his face separates from his body, and we presume he landed in the bottom of the waterfall. He then picks up the little black book, only to find out that the little black book is in fact completely blank. We then see the Bat family all basically holding each other, still Jokerized, but not attacking or hurting each other any longer. We then cut to the next morning, where Alfred is greeted by Bruce, who is ins- who insists that he will wait hand-on-foot on Alfred because of what Alfred has gone through. Alfred then says, I knew exactly what was going on the entire time. He then proceeds to tell Alfred a situation when 
He first found the, the Joker card inside the Batcave while he was on a trip to Arkham Asylum in the guise of Bruce Wayne. He approaches the Joker and says something about the Joker card, and Joker refuses to actually look at Bruce Wayne to see who, in fact, he is, because it wouldn't be fun for him anymore if, in fact, he knew who Batman was. He then tells Alfred that he's supposed to be meeting with the rest of the family to explain everything to them. He then realizes slowly through a number of messages that a number of them are canceling meeting and they have no intention of actually meeting with him at that point. Um, we then see Dick call Bruce and say, listen, I've got to get out of here for right now. I've, I've got to understand. And we see that basically the entire trust around Bruce Wayne from the Bat family has been dissolved, and that was the entire intent of what we've seen. We then cut back to uh, Bruce going towards the Batcave. On the back computer, we see Bat, uh, Joker's face with the words identity unknown, leading us to believe that maybe, in fact, Bruce was bluffing when he was about to tell Joker that he knew his identity. We then uh, see an analyzation of the new Joker toxin. It's element 105, Dubnumium, and the other names is Ha-Anium. The original element symbol is H-A, so ha-ha-ha-ha-ha, the end. Okay, Batman number 17. Okay, so I've got a couple of different things that I want to cover here. Obviously, this was the end of the big arc, so we're going to spend a little bit more time on this. But the, the first thing I want to, I want to talk about is... The actual, and we're going to try to stay as specific as possible to these questions, just because there's a lot of different things that we need to talk about. But the first thing we need to talk about is, in fact, the reveal of what was under the silver platters. It was, in fact, uh, the faces of all of the Bat family, but then it is then revealed that it wasn't the real faces of them, just fake faces. So, thoughts on that reveal? Now, Scott Snyder, I think, has been the most consistent Batman writer of the of the entire DP2 run. I think he's great. I love his Batman. Um, I really think he, he gets the characters very well. I think he, he also clearly has a lot of love for the characters and for the whole Bat franchise. And you can see it in every issue, I think. I hated, hated that whole face thing. Not because it turned out to be their faces, because that was always a possibility. That's kind of, I, I kind of had that in mind. If it didn't turn out to be Alfred's face, I could see it being their faces. It was sort of like a .5 guess. Uh, but not, it wasn't so much that that was what it was. What I really despised was that he goes back on it. And I, I've told everybody this before, about this, this, this entire crossover. The entire time, he's saying, you know, you don't care about them, and, you know, and I despise them. They're not, they're not worthy of you. I'm the jester in your court, Batman. I'm the one you should care about. These guys are wasting your time and making you weak. And I'll show you by attacking them. So what does he do? He doesn't do anything. He doesn't, like, like, why does he, I don't understand why he does this. I don't understand why he goes through the whole thing of, oh, guys, it was a joke. I guess he was just joking that he, that he cut their faces off because the, the issue needed padding. And I suppose you could say the, the joke was that he rigged everything so they would be gassed and jokerized anyway. That gets to another problem I have, but it's just that that proves 
seems to me that this entire crossover, not this, not so much the story, although this, like you could say the story, but the crossover at least was a gigantic waste of time. Yeah, it's it's a little depressing when you like Batgirl a little more than you liked this one, uh, <laughs> given the fact that I. <laughs> You know, you know, fans and listeners of this, how much I've enjoyed Batgirl, which has not been a lot. I think it. I mean, we were leading up to something big, and I think that this was going to be something big. And you know, of all the talk and everything, and then we pull that, and I'm like, holy! Insert you know, expletive here. And I thought, oh wow, how is this gonna? How are we gonna go about this? And then when it's revealed, oh wait. Psych, you just been punked. I don't know. You know, part of me is like, well, I'm glad that Bab still has her face and everyone else. But the second, I mean, maybe it would have been an awesome storyline to see how these people would have uh, gotten on without their faces. And I think that that, you know, if that was the point is to have, you know, those faces there and maybe that would have been great because then we would have pulled back into Detective Comics number one where we were all like, what the devil is going on? Why'd he cut off his own face? At least there's, you know, some connection there, some some synergism. Uh, but it just seemed like you were ramped and then it was like pulled out from under you. So I I was disappointed by that. I was disappointed by a couple other things more, I think, than the face. I guess there's a coming, but I was in. I guess I was disappointed, but I also saw it coming. So it's not like it's more like a. Oh, yeah. Okay then. Because I mean, as soon as you saw the faces there, it's like maybe that's like a cool kind of shocking image. Like I, I wanted to know what was under there, but at the same time, I was like, so how long before this gets turned back on? And then it was a few pages later. So okay. Um, I it did get me questioning why. I guess it kind of explains it a little later when it says that Joker just doesn't care about their identities, but why they had their masks on when their faces were cut off, if it was supposed to be like, oh yeah, I know who all of these people are, uh-huh. and he kept their masks on when he put the fake bloody bandages on, which, you know, but I guess otherwise it would, you know, they, the faces might not look anything like what they look like, but I don't know. Yes. Also, I mean, isn't there supposed to be like some amazing death at the end of this? It's like who lives, who dies, the last big fight. And I think the only death that I can find in it other than, you know, in the backups where like a lot of, uh, penguins, henchmen and stuff get killed is, uh, is the two-headed lion cub. Yeah. That was a little strange. Uh. So, so real quick, the, the interview that was done, I'm going to refer to the Comic Vine interview because I felt they Please asked do. the most relevant questions. The They specifically asked the questions, what's been some of the best or craziest rumors to the ending you've heard? I'm not going to read the entire answer, but I'm going to read the specific parts that address this. I just wanted to say, because I haven't really addressed this in my other interviews yet, with people starting to read the issue now as retailers get it, while some of the comments are generous, I know there are going to be a vocal contingent of people that probably were expecting someone to die. They expected someone to be horribly hurt in a way that would be permanent. I thought really long and hard about that before we began this story, I promise you. I really thought about what it would mean to kill Alfred or what it would mean to kill one of the Bat family. As much as I understand the desire for that kind of lasting impact and for that tangible consequence, 
for me, I really felt as though it would be, it would, it was such a negative legacy to leave. Huh. Why is it called death of the family then? Mm-hmm. Well, does it mean, um... I'm just, I'm just gonna start, I'm just gonna start with, why is it called death of the family if the family doesn't die? If you don't need, if you, I mean, here's the thing. It's one thing to have it called anything else. But it's specifically relating a story called Death in Where she the killed family, a freaking Robin. Which has Joker killed Jason Todd. Why would you go to the trouble of calling your story Death of the Family if it wasn't going to have implications well, equivalent to the story that you're, you're deriving your story name from? I guess you could take it as, I mean, at the end when none of them turn up to the meeting, it's the family's somewhat disintegrated. So in that, sense it's the death of the Bat family in that depending on how it plays out in future issues they might not be talking to each, they might not be talking to each other anymore and the trust might be gone which was oh, I think see and, and you know what here's the thing that's a good point but here's here's the thing on that look at the look at every other series that is happening right now outside of what Scott Snyder's doing and none of them are working together anyway except for Damien and Batman Dick hasn't worked with, with Batman except for, you know, just, he's, he's popped up. We saw him deal with Court of Owls. He got super pissed at Batman and was mad because of the exact same thing. He didn't tell Dick something that he knew. He got mad. If you remember correctly, Batman pu- punched him in the face and knocked that tooth out of his mouth. And there was that whole conflict of, well, why don't you trust me? Why don't you tell me these things? It's the exact same thing. What do we see in Batgirl? We see in Batgirl, her basically tell Batman and Nightwing, leave me the F alone. I'm on my own. Don't, I don't want anything to do with yeah. you. Tim is already out on his own with the Teen Titans, doesn't interact hardly at all. The, the, the most interaction we saw was a one page cameo in Court of Owls prior to this event of him interacting with the Bat family outside of one panel taking the occasional. <laughs> Without, with, you know, besides the occasional, uh, call to Jason Todd. Jason Todd, we've seen probably more so working with Batman than Tim Drake with, uh, the whole Mr. Freeze, uh, situation where, where Mr. Freeze was attacking a facility and Jason Todd felt compelled to deal with it. But, and then we saw all of the Robins interacting in Batman and Robin in that one story. But for the most part, they already didn't like each other, and they already didn't like the fact that they had to work with each other. So what did we actually get as far as the the mistrust that they, and you know, they don't want to work with Batman because Batman doesn't trust them? What did we really see that's the repercussion? I mean, I'm not saying that every story has to have a repercussion. But when you hype a story up like they did, I'm not saying that it's all Scott Snyder's fault. He's not the only one who hyped this story up, but... Everybody at DC has been hyping the story up as this ginormous event that is going to have lasting repercussions across the entire Batman Mm -hmm. universe. And Scott Snyder has said that himself, that this story will have lasting repercussions. What lasting repercussions do we see? I'm not going to sit here and say that, you know, someone need to be, you know, horribly, uh, horribly scarred or paralyzed or something on that regards or horribly injured 
or someone had to die. But at the same point, what is the lasting repercussions in the Bat family at this point that we got from can this I, issue? Can I, that's, that's my can next I get question. In on that? Um, well, to, to talk about, you know, the whole breakup with the Bat family thing. My, you know, and you know, this is, this is, this is, because this is Donovan talking, Donovan obligatorily says this. This has happened before. I immediately thought of War Games when the entire Bat family, except for Nightwing, basically left Gotham and went their own ways and were talking to Batman for contrived reasons. And it's going to happen again. Like you illustrated, except for Damien and Alfred, every one of them are removed from Batman. And in some ways, I think they should be. Batgirl and Nightwing really shouldn't be so close to Batman. I think Nightwing especially. Jason Todd's not. Tim is on the Titans. I, I can roll with that. But it goes back to what I was saying in, in, in um, the Batman and Robin review, where, like, the whole idea... I mean, they even Batman says... I don't think Batman's ever referred to it so explicitly before this story that, that they are a family. Like, you know, to let the family know that the Joker's escaped from it. And I, I find that really funny because at what point has this particular group of characters really interacted much together besides, like, two issues ago? When they were all, like, you know, basically giving Bruce a lecture in the back cave as he woke up. You know, it's, it's, that's, that's one thing. I don't think, I don't really think that anything's being lost here. I suppose that, like, um. What do you, you mean know, nothing's being lost? I, well, I mean, like, they're mad at him. So what? <laughs> How many times are they mad at him because Batman doesn't, doesn't, you know, laugh or, or trust him or whatever? I mean, we've seen this before. Um, and not only that, but like, it's not, it's not particularly well executed, I think. I, su- I mean, I suppose you can look into it like they're, they're mad at him, but to me, it looks like they, they kind of just want to have alone time. I don't see any of them. I mean, Dick is smiling. Uh, 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 it looks like Barbara's smiling. I mean, none of them look like, you know, I know they're making excuses, but to me, it's like, I'm not exactly sure what exactly we're supposed to get out of this. I, maybe it's because they're afraid of what the Joker said is true, but even that, it's just, come on. You really think that the Joker, just because he attacked them, has some truth into how Batman operates into his mind, especially when they defeated the Joker. That's one thing. What Dustin was just asking is, you know, what the, they were hyping up this whole story. The big point of this story was, does the Joker know Batman's identity? And again, the main point that, that I got from this issue was that it doesn't matter whether he knows or not, and he'd rather prefer not to know because that takes away his fun. And how many times has that been said before? That is not new. That is not. That's been an established, uh, uh, that's been an established assumption for years now. You can find all of this in one page of Death in the Family. You can. When Joker's like walking down and stares down Bruce Wayne. All of this is in that page and that's it. That's all we need to know. He doesn't care who he is. And if he, and if he does know who he is, this, this, I mean, this whole point, I guess you could say, illustrated how he knows who he is because to me, there's no reason why he doesn't know who he is, but he just kind of tries to ignore it. That's why he didn't take the faces off because he didn't want to see the, the he didn't want to take their, their masks off or whatever. That's why in the, in the, at the very end, he didn't turn around and acknowledge Bruce Wayne. But to me, it's like, you know, duh. Like, at what point is that supposed to be a surprise? I feel that this story was really just reiterating a lot of things that we already know about the Batman mythology in a way that was kind of disingenuous because it was trying to change something and basically just re- repeated a, a pre-established truism. And that's sort of like my big, sort of, that's my big contention with this issue. I, I don't think this is a bad issue all out and out, but this was really, really flat. This is like one of the dis- most disappointing issues I've really, I've ever read in, in a big storyline like this. 
And I feel that like it was just kind of slumming it in terms of trying to say something about Batman and the Joker. Like, well, Batman's like, I'm not going to kill you, Joker. No, duh. We, we already know that. The Bat family's like, you know, like, oh, Batman doesn't trust us or whatever. That, that's already been said. And, 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 uh, like how Dustin was saying, the, I have, I have a hard time calling them that, that, the Bat family in all honesty because the situation's so changed. Like, I think back when, um, uh, when Dick was Batman, Damien was Robin, Tim was Red Robin, uh, you had Oracle and then Steph is Batgirl. That was more of a Bat family because there was an established history and here we don't have that. And, it just feels it just feels weird having all of this you know this this supposed drama on their relationship when there's no relationship relationship established. That plus reiterating what we already know really makes this fall down, in my opinion. Would you have the same opinions on things that we've heard before if you were a new reader? Well, if honestly, this was coming at you for the first time, would you have the same grievances? Real quick, before you answer that though, are you a new reader who's only reading this specific Death of the Family story, or are you reading the story from Batman number one forward? You're just a new reader from the new beginning of the New Fifty Two. Let's say beginning of the New Fifty Two. If if I if I was a new reader from the New Fifty Two and I've been reading all of the stuff that's been happening in the Batman universe since the beginning of the New Fifty Two, I don't know how I could have a different thought about what has happened at the end of this because if in fact death of the family is is meaning the death of the trust between the Bat family because of Bruce not telling or not being truthful or honest with the Bat family, then that is not something that we have seen. It's not something new we haven't seen already from the beginning of the New Fifty Two. Not only that, but okay, if I'm a new if I if I'm John Wilson and I'm going into this complete, like, you know, pretending that there's never been a Batman before. And I'm saying that, like, okay, this is this is a story that's meant for new readers, where they establish, they reestablish, or at least establish, the relationship between Batman and the Joker. He's not going to kill the Joker. The Joker might know who he is, but he doesn't care. He tries not to tries not to think about it. Okay, but what what at the end is the consequences of that? Well, supposedly it's the consequence of the re- repercussions in terms of Batman's relationship with his partners. So what's the nearest thing? What's the, what's the soonest thing I'm going to do? I'm going to say, okay, this was obviously supposed to take a toll on the Batman family. So where can I go to read some more of that so I can really fully, uh, fully understand the consequences of what's happened? I'm going to go back and read issues where he interacted with the Bat Family. Where do I go to read that? Look through any issues of any of these comic books and you're not going to find it. Think about it. When you're, when you're reading a story and there, there, there's a big toll on a, on a character or a relationship, you're going to obviously want to see where, how, where that came from and how that was built up so you can get the full impact and want to be interested and those characters more, so you're going to go back to them. But you can't find them here. Well, so, that's exactly why I think being a new reader and reading this, you wouldn't be as affected. Yes. So it's it's like, and again, that's sort of, that's, again, more towards the, the changeover in continuities. It's not solely Scott Snyder's fault. But to me, I really feel the, the idea that Scott Snyder tried to do something more with the story and was told he couldn't. And that's really presumptuous to me to say. I should probably just blame the guy. But I, I am so I, I am shocked that he got to this issue and just backed off on anything. Even when the Batman was gassed with the Joker toxin, and Joker says this is the most dangerous, potent, and most deadly toxin I've ever made, and then just get over it. Are you, are you kidding me? Like, it w- well, the best question is if they were able to get over it, and that was a more potent formula. How? What's the explanation for Alfred this entire time? For real, he emerges as if he is. He's under Joker Toxin, but if it's the most potent Joker Toxin, Joker Toxin has known to kill people, 
It always so kills somehow people. Alfred, yeah. So so somehow Alfred doesn't die from this situation, but yet somehow he is able to be Jokerized under the the uh, I guess control of the Joker all of this time. I, I read in another interview that this entire event took place over like a two day time frame, well, well, which I don't know about that. Yeah, because I. I so that's what that's what he said. He said that Court of Owls took place one year ago from this situation. I did read that, yeah. And that this event was very quick and happened within a very short time. How is he everywhere at once, though? There's no way. Unless there are multiple Jokers running around. But do you think, do you, could Alfred... Well, I actually have two questions involving Alfred. Number one was a question that involves your previous issue, uh, your previous question. Would you have been more emotionally affected uh, if not revealing those faces but Alfred died. If Alfred died or if someone really died would that have been more potent to you in the story? That's my first question. Second one is could Alfred be like a sleeper and that there's something uh, more deeply embedded in him and it's going to come back to bite the Bat family? I think it would be more effective if Alfred died but at the same time I, I don't think I'd want that just because of how iconic Alfred is and what he... Right. Adds to the, adds to the book. It definitely would have been shocking and effective, but I think it's probably one of those characters that's so big that they would have found a way to bring it back anyway. But uh, I, I'm not sure I would have been happy if he had died. Yeah, I think it's it's yeah. trying to fill that niche of you want something shocking enough to please people, but not so that it it pisses people off when you like do something to you know ruin another piece of continuity. Well, it's like, um, I was going to say real quick that, like, you know, if Alfred did die, that would make the story worth something. You know, like, I mean, I wouldn't like it, but I would appreciate the story for what it, for what it did. You know, it's not, it wasn't like, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have the right to say that it was a badly written story or that it was a story that didn't make any sense or it was a story that did something for him. I would at least say, I don't, I wish Alfred didn't die, but at least the Joker freaking said, freaking did what he would, what he said he was going to do. He, you know, he capitalized on his threats. And this story is different than any other Joker story told before. The thing is, it's not so much to me that the, that, you know, if Alfred would have died, would have the story been more meaningful? No, because I think the, the entire, the entire time, this whole thing with Alfred has just been like this, you know, red herring to lead us to believe something's happening only for it to not happen. You know, I did. You know, when we talked about our predictions of what was going to be under the platter last month, I, you know, I, I abstained from, you know, deciding what was underneath it. But at the same point, I also said that I was pretty sure that it wasn't Alfred underneath that platter. The thing is, if Alfred died, I don't know that the story would have had any more meaning. Yes, it would have had repercussions, but I don't know that the story would have had any meaning because. I think that the whole point of this story was just to, you know, do the specific distrust thing. And there is a specific reason I say this. It's, it is, there was another question that was asked in this interview, and it, and it was basically, even though Batman sort of wins the battle against the Joker, do you feel Joker sort of won in forming a wedge between Bruce and the others? And he responded, I definitely feel Joker won. If you had to score who won more, the Joker is the victor in this one. Batman definitely stopped him and saved his family. I think the Joker did what he wanted to do, even if he didn't end up killing all of the family. He made his point. He really drove a knife between all of them, and it's going to hurt for a long time. Ugh. Batman won on the surface, 
but I think Joker won beneath. And the problem is that that was the intent of what he was aiming to do. He was aiming to drive this knife between them, which, as I already said, it was it, it already was the knife was already there. It just needed, to, I guess, be shoved down a little. bit. I don't think the that. knife was already there. Oh, you go ahead, Joe. Oh, no, I was just going to say that I, going off on what uh, Dustin was saying, and I definitely agree with Don in that when I was reading the the epilogue bit, I was just thought that they wanted time to themselves, not so much that they were pissed off and didn't trust Batman. Yeah, anymore. and that's exactly how I read it, too. I felt as if, you know, everybody just wanted to be on their own. For what exactly did they be mad at Batman for? I'm not well, really I clear mean, on that. You're not told what Joker was saying to them, but then you would have thought that... I mean, on some level, sure, he'd probably get through to them, but they'd know that he's insane They not to listen to him. But, I mean, here's the thing, okay? That that's a that let's that's actually the next question I, I want to talk about. What does the Bat family have to be mad at Batman for? It just feels so contrived. Like I understand, you know, in post crisis that Dick Grayson and Bat Bruce Wayne had like sort of a, a tension. But it feels like ever since then they've just been chasing this with this whole, you know, assumed he can't trust anybody. That's why he has everybody working for him, and it's just like. It's like every story is under that context, you know? I, I mean, Batman and Robin notwithstanding, because that's actually a good good title. Like, every story is under the idea that Batman doesn't trust it. One, that's not true. Two, that's just the boring storytelling. And three, every time they used to do that story, they would always go back on it. You know, they went back on that with Hush. They went back on that with Bruce Wayne Murderer. They went back on that with Infinite Crisis and One Year Later. And I'm, say, and I'm listening to these stories because I'm saying how it was done in different ways to the point where it doesn't matter anymore. This isn't, this isn't a relevant story to tell anymore. You know, first of all, I, I question them believing anything the Joker just tells them. I do. I'm sorry. And every single issue of the, of the other people, of the other, uh, characters, like Nightwing, Batgirl, Teen Titans, Batman Robin, they're all attacking the Joker. They're not saying maybe what the Joker, maybe what the Joker says have, has a point. Maybe I am dragging Batman down. They're just attacking full force. Are we really supposed to believe that off panel, off page, the Joker whispers something which we'll never find out in their ear, and they're just like, "Yeah, I don't want to talk about Batman anymore." That's bad storytelling. Second of all, do we do we do we really think that like this is going to last? I mean, there's still team books. These books wouldn't exist without Batman, and the whole reason that these characters are still in continuity is because of their relationship to Batman. That's why Barbara's Batgirl again. That's why Nightwing's in Gotham City. That's why Jason Todd has a bat symbol on his chest. These characters are not just going to be divorced from Batman for the time being. We're going to see them in six months when the new storyline comes comes up, you know, and they're going to be dragged down to it. And we're all going to talk about, you know, how this doesn't jive with the last story, but we're going to ignore it because the writers have already forgotten about it. That's what's going to happen. And I don't know. I just, just this, this I disagree just with so. you. I disagree with you because I don't think that there was a knife, as uh, as Dustin said. I don't think there was a knife between them. But I think writers want to do their own thing and want to keep them separate. So that's why we had Nightwing and Barbara. We didn't want to have a relationship between them. So we had that stupid interaction between the two. And so now they're separate. This is giving even more incentive. So if we ask ourselves, why isn't there a Batman family? Why aren't there people together? Now we have a reason why. And so writers can do their own thing without having to interact specifically with Batman, without having any continuity issues, without having people asking why this isn't going along with Snyder's stuff, having their own book devoid of everything outside of it, this is the reason why they can do it. That's why I'm pissed off, because we have destroyed the Batman family, in my opinion, and it's it's really saddened to me. Um, I, I think it is going to last a long time. 
But what what is the reason though? But no 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 no. Wait a second. But the thing is, if if you think that this has actually destroyed the Bat family from this one instance, I have two follow up questions. Number one, why has it destroyed the Bat family? And two. How do you explain every other book since the New 52 has happened where every single one of these characters doesn't interact with Batman on a normal basis like we've said we'd like yeah, to Yeah, no, see? I agree with you there that there is no interaction. I'm saying that my ideal Batman family, like, you know, going into the New 52, I, I would have wished that we would have that loving family that we had before that, you know, has some issues, but it goes along. It's like a dysfunctional family, but we've never had that. So by... When I say destroy the Batman family, I mean it's destroyed all hope of us actually having um, a good connection between all of the members. Your first question, there's not a reason. Um, he, he goes on about why you, you never trusted them, but really he, he didn't tell them or he did not disclose anything that, I mean, he told them he was never in my cave and that was true. He never told them Joker's identity because he actually didn't know it. He did st- the only thing I could say which is grasping at straws is the fact that he stood up and and made the flint um scratch across the stone uh which caused the fire but that's really stretching it here. Uh there is no reason. That was one of the issues I think that that is really left out there that why are they so yeah. Why why is there a breakup when when nothing has really happened? All we can say is that it it's like Damien's argument when uh, he was really upset with uh, Batman during Nobody. But I think it's a completely different situation because he really was hiding all of that stuff, all of his personal relationship with um, Ducard and everything from Damien, but then he revealed it. He was being pretty truthful with uh, the Bat family the entire time. Um, so so there, that that's... I can't answer that question because, I mean, there is no reason why. But I think that our ideal of the Bat family has been destroyed, and meaning there's not going to even be a chance for it to have been formed in the New 52. I think it's going to be a while until that happens. So the, the best bet you can do is just read Batman Inc. I think another problem is that fact that we, we say this is the bad feeling based on our, our, our uh, previous uh, interactions with you know how they, how they kind of come along. And, I, and I've listened before how there are different iterations of the status quo in terms of the Bat family and who's in what mantle and, you know, which character is, is, is there and which one's not. And here, it really is just Batman and his sidekicks, which I don't, I don't like at all. You know, I'll give you Damien because Damien is the youngest and Damien is, is really is the least experienced no matter what his upbringing. I'll even give you Tim and Jason because they've been away for, for a while. But I think to a certain point, you gotta stop treating everyone like this, like a sidekick and start treating them like, like a member of somebody who, Somebody, a character who, who is worthy of their own title since they all have their own titles. And the fact that, like, even Nightwing, and I, and I mentioned this last month, that Nightwing is just this totally, you know, I mean, he's, he's, he's like the oldest, but he's still another Robin. He's like, you know, just go get him, Bruce. No, it's like, to me, it's like, if they, if they really had such a, such a mad on for Batman, they would investigate themselves. They would go to the, they did go to the Joker themselves, but they all got owned, I suppose, because for story reasons. But like, to me, it's like, you know, they're totally subservient to the story, and that's not their fault. That's that it is the writer, the writer's fault. The fact that they all, on their own, said, you know, like I, I can't be with this anymore, anymore, Bruce. I gotta be on my own. You know, I don't buy that. I, don't, I, I can buy Jason not wanting to talk. I can buy Barbara not wanting to talk. But to me, it's like you know, Tim, Tim, Dick, or or uh, Damien, if not anybody, 
would probably would probably want like want just demand answers or something. They're not just gonna like, let this go, and this feels so preordained that it doesn't ring true. That's why, to me, that's why we have when we have instances like you know Bruce explaining like like to, to Alfred. That's why I know the Joker doesn't know my identity. When characters say something and we're not shown it, that's what makes it a bad story. That's what makes it bad storytelling. When the characters just are just shown, you know, like oh I'm not here anymore, and we have to be told through an interview that they're mad at him for what reason I don't know. But that's bad storytelling. I mean, Dick Grayson is laughing in his last scene. How is he mad? I don't get it. Like, like, and if I see this in the next issue of Nightwing, I'm, I'm gonna be upset because it doesn't, it doesn't jive with this issue. You know, I, I can understand if they have if they have trust issues. I can understand if they have issues, but they're being flat out angry at Batman. To me, it's like you know that doesn't happen in this issue. They're, I'm just I'm just hearing that on on um on on you know on another reality in terms of you know what their interviews say. So the fact that like this is the death of the family is like. We read all this issue where one thing happens and another thing is being told that's happened and outside outside of the comic books. Are, are they supposed to be mad at him then? Because from the sounds of it, all of us sound seem to think that if that's the way it's meant to be, it wasn't done well because we all read it as they just wanted some time themselves to think over what they'd just been through. And the only reason yeah. we're kind of trying to think that they're, they're mad at them is, I guess, because of the, the title of the crossover. Is that, well, is that what everyone's thinking? That. We're trying to make sense of two things. One, that nothing really happened. There's not really a repercussion from this, and the fact that Scott Snyder said that the whole point of the story was to do that, and we're not seeing that in those last couple pages. I mean, the other thing is, the, the thing for me is, I'm looking at this and thinking to myself, why is it that... Basically, I'm looking at the story and saying the only outcome from this story is that if you take this story and you put it up before the new 52 starts it makes perfect sense of why nightwing leaves gotham and goes you know traveling along with the circus why barbara does the thing that she does with nightwing and and uh batman about i don't want to work with you guys anymore and why we don't see tim interacting or jason interacting with batman it makes perfect sense if it happens back then but the fact that this is happening way after that, and we've already seen a year and a half, a year and a half's worth of comics come out between now and then, already showing this exact same situation that was the big payoff for this story, it makes it completely useless. Um, I was also going to mention that in Batgirl, the issue we just read, and Batman and Robin, they don't mention once their problems. I mean, Damien's having happy dreams about Batman. He ain't mad. Barbara, all, all she, she can think about, you know, is rounding up the Joker's henchmen. I don't think she mentions Bruce once, so she ain't mad. So it's like, th- there, this, I, I've got. You know, I, but, but see, I, I don't. I'm not going to sit here and say that all the other books should be reiterating the same point that Scott Snyder didn't get across well enough in his book because that's not their job. I got a couple things to say. Um, first of all, I don't think we can say that about uh, Damien and Batman or Robin. Uh, because when Batman says at the very end, you realize this is a dream, right? He says, yes, uh, but it's one that I don't want to wake up from. So we could potentially see that he is affected in some way, and he would rather stay in this dream world uh, with Bruce that perhaps these other things have not happened rather than what is the actual thing. Um, number two, at the very end of this issue, when he is calling Dick, now the the, the back and forth... Batman says, Dick, what did he say to you in the dark? And Dick goes, it, hesitation, it doesn't matter. 
So if it's nothing that happens at the table scene, then who knows what Joker said to them. And that could just be Snyder putting any sort of like doubt in our minds because we have no idea what Joker said. So it could be something if they're upset with him, then it could be something on that end that we'll never find out. Kind of like one more day. But then, yep, exactly. Yep. And it's just, it's like, why? What is the point of the payoff if we're just because I, I remember reading that part and thinking, why doesn't he just say what he said? If it really doesn't matter, why doesn't we'll he find just out say in a year? It? Unless it is something. That actually does yeah. that. Well, and will explain the entire purpose of why the Bat family suddenly distrusts Batman and doesn't want to have anything to do well, with Well, we Batman. still don't know what was said to uh, <laughs> Mephisto, did we, Don? Well, they changed it. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll tell you later. So, yeah, well, so. Well, yeah, that's a, that's a. Awesome well, the point, no, well, I, I didn't mean to distract, but there's just the point that that happened. Like, MJ whispers something to Mephisto's ear, and we're like, well, what the devil is that? Would And we still don't know what that is. So I don't know if we're ever going to find out what this is. And my other point is, if I know Barbara Gordon at all, which I like to think that I could potentially be an expert on Barbara Gordon, I do not think for one moment that she would want to sit in front of a fireplace reading her tablet with a cup of tea, because of all of the stuff that she has gone through even though it was really dumb but the fact that it was at the hands of the joker and all of the stuff that she had gone through at his hands before to get her paralyzed and everything when she's in the hospital it meant the world to her to have bruce come and visit her and hold her hand that meant the world to her so to have her by herself i think is that's that's a terror i i do not with her father but she, well, or someone, she would not be by herself. This is not, so I, I don't think it's alone time. I think that's a bad kid. I mean, that's just one smidgen of a panel. But I think that goes along with the point of, are these people mad? Why are they by themselves? What What's going on? I think that um, what could have happened, and I'm not, I don't want to play armchair writer, but I think really the, the potential that they could have done is this, you know. I can see the the members of the Bat family being freaked out by this this incident. I wish Snyder would have gone into their heads more because they are really just like, you know, the helpless little Burt Ward sidekicks in this issue. <laughs> I wish that, like, you know, we would see Tim doing something else than, like, I don't know, listen to his headphones. Yeah. I mean, like, more than, more than what we see here, like, you know, a page a page with each character would be nice, you know. See them reflecting, see where they are, give, give the other writers a t- an opportunity to explore something. Instead of just, you know, just these small panels which you can barely make out, like looking at them either contemplative or not really doing much of anything. But no, it's just, you know, we have not, we have nothing to go on, which is, which is reiterates the, 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 the bad payoff we got in this. Cause I think that like, I was, I, I remember when I, uh, when this issue came out, Dustin and I were talking about like other stuff, like editing a, a show or whatever. And I was like, hey, Red Batman 17? And he was like, yeah. I was like, what'd you think about it? He's like, eh. And then we went at like the Boondock Saints. But like the whole <laughs> thing is that like, the whole, the whole reason, like before this issue came out, we were all wondering, does the Joker know who Batman is? And I think he does, but doesn't really acknowledge it. And Dustin is convinced that he doesn't. But the fact that that's such a non-issue at the end of the story shows how limp it is, really. And I know we've been kind of reiterating that, but there's like more than one point that really this kind of like falters on. It's a little weird that it's a non-issue because look at all how many times we talked about does he know who they are, how that was a huge focus in all the side books, that he was going after them like through their identities, that he knew all these details. So why doesn't it matter if he and if he doesn't know why even have that stuff? That doesn't make sense at all. 
Right, and that was that, that was when, when Don and I were discussing this. It basically came down to, I said he doesn't know because he wouldn't want to know. If he did know, I don't think that he would actually broadcast to them that he knows because, what what fun is it then? But if he doesn't actually know, then why in every single one of these <laughs> books does he have situations that specifically relate to their secret identities? Yeah. Number one. Number one. Number two, I'd love to get Scott Snyder on the phone and find out what he thinks about the entire Joker orchestrated Jason Todd thing that Scott Lobdell created because that counteracts everything that Scott Snyder's doing. If if Joker, if Scott Snyder is writing the Joker as if he doesn't, he would never want to know who Batman is because it would ruin his fun, then how can you possibly, how can that pot, that thought possibly exist in the same universe <laughs> where Scott Lobdell is writing Joker as if he implanted Jason Todd into the Bat family? Yeah, because he says, you know, like when he says, I'm going to kill them, them, and him again. So he knows that, like, I guess, I don't know if it's, if it's common knowledge that red hood is you know former dead robin second dead second robin i really don't know that but like again going back to that i, I listened to that that uh, episode that we did because it was awesome and that it was so impossible for the joker not to know that, that that the person he killed was jason todd how can he if if he doesn't if he doesn't want to know who batman is then why would he surround his plans with attacking their secret identity like you know like attack the circus and say nightwing you're a bad fake because that's that's him surrounding himself with their alternate identities, like you know, him attacking the mom of of Barbara Gordon. That's him surrounding himself. Him pretending to have the parents of Jason and Tim. That's him. That's him putting his hands into their secret identities. And then he's, he's he can he can ask Bruce Wayne's butler, and he says, "Oh, I don't want to know." I mean, it's like he's doing one thing and saying another. And like if he's schizophrenic in that way, then explore that. Because otherwise, it just comes off as you know, a happy accident that he just did that. Uh, I agree that it doesn't do anything new, and I said the same about the last storyline, I said the same about Court of Owls, and I'm disappointed because it seems that Scott Snyder writes these sort of epic, I mean, I know this was shorter, but he writes these sort of epic, uh, big stories, often crossovers, and then at the end of it, you're right back where you started, and it's, and nothing really changes. Which is annoying because I mean I think we all really love Black Mirror and I think that was that's uh, that's definitely added to continuity even though you know New Fish is oh, yeah. doing everything but that was a really good storyline it was really different and we we were all wondering what was going to happen next and I guess we were in this but then it comes to this issue and it's like oh okay so it's just really, nothing has changed which is I mean there were a few points which I liked I liked. uh Talking about when Joker was taunting Batman, saying, "You know, what, you, why won't you kill me? Don't say it's because then you'll win." Because I've never really understood that. I get it to an extent, but if Joker's dead, he's dead. What does it mean? He's, he wins. I don't think Joker would ever really get any satisfaction out of that. Um, but I, I, I agree more with the fact that it's slippery slope, that sort of thing, where. You know, if you've killed someone, what's to stop you going? Well, I've already, I've done it once. What's this? Why is this person any worse than, or not as bad as the Joker? So, I, I get that. How does this, in your opinion, compare to uh, Night of the Owls? Oh, I was going to say, uh, uh, to kind of like dovetail off that question, 
I think that uh, both of the Night of the Owls, I don't know how, to, this is the Owl story, I don't really differentiate it too much. Okay, with most Batman stories, with most big crossover Batman stories, there's always something big happening at the end. And the last story, to me, we at least introduced Owlman to the main continuity, whether he's his brother or not, which was, you know, ambiguous enough, which I, I was fine with it. And, you know, Death of Family Joker died, or Jason Todd died. In Hush, Riddler knew his identity. In uh, uh, the James Ju- James Jr. storyline, I don't think that I can't think of anything else that was. I mean, honestly, they introduced James Jr. as a as a as a uh, villain, but I think it was that wasn't really a narrative mystery. That was sort of like you know what's going to happen next. I think with this story, Joe Joe mentioned that we were liking it for the most part, but this story did bring up some some problems that it needed to solve, like whether the Joker knows or not. And we were Dustin was very vocal in thinking like, either he knows or he doesn't. If he doesn't know. How does it explain these issues? Because so while the story was good, we had we had uh, questions about how it could possibly end, and I think this is sort of like you know the bad ending where it it kind of went down the wrong path. I think with most of the other stories, uh, typically either Scott Snyder gives gives us something new or introduces something like which most stories do, or they change something like you know No Man's Land, Sarah Sun dies, you know Nightfall, you know that's that, that goes without saying. Most stories always end with something different or something earned, and this one didn't which is which is mainly why it doesn't really work and, I, and i've seen that the thing with comic vine where they said you know nothing will ever be the same again this was the joker stories in all joker stories and i just question how how can you possibly say that i think the other thing is scott Snyder was saying you know this is going to be my big joker story this is going to be you know we haven't had a, a joker story in so long and he's just come up with something that's pretty much exactly the same as every other big joker story and I think that's like, you know, I think there's a big temptation to use the Joker. To me, I, I see I see a lot of Scott Snyder, the fan in this, where he's reiterating a lot of what we already know yeah, to establish his story. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, I can appreciate that from a fan's perspective, but when you when you, when you you like, are the writer, go ahead. No, it's, it's like well-written fan fiction, because it's kind of everything has been done before, and it's not, it's, it's well-written, and I think there are good points in there, but there's nothing totally unique about it, which is unfortunate. Well, even there's even like a bit where like when we first see that Joker presumably took off their faces, Batman says, "How could you?" And to me, it's like you know, okay, that that sounds like you know, if I'm writing a story and I'm thinking about what Batman might say, he could say that, or he could rip himself out of that chair and take off his head. You know, it's like, come on, I, I, that was like one of those things where it's like I feel the fan coming in because the writing is conflicting with the premeditated story of you know the ending and what this is supposed to mean. That's presumptuous of me. I'm, I'm not, I, I shouldn't, I'm not trying, I mean, I, I do it with Gail Simone, but it's not right of us to sort of like say, well, obviously Scott Snyder thought this or that, but we are basing this off of informed opinions through reading the story and reading and listening to interviews and all that. But, um, I think it's more apparent in this because this is why it involves all the, all the family members. This is why it involves the Joker. And I think that when you're dealing with these big guns, it's easier to sort of like screw up the ball with, with other characters than it is with your own creative characters, which is why I think that the Owl story did better, and, and James Jordan, James Jordan, James Gordon Jr. Did, fared better. Even though he didn't create James Gordon Jr., he established him and his new personality as a villain. But this is like, you know, the Joker's back, and how is he different? Well, he's not. And I suppose Scott Snyder likes the Joker that's already been out there, but, you know, if you want to really uh, make a good story and leave your stamp on it, you know, you got to take a chance. If this, If something different had happened and I wouldn't have liked it, we could at least say, you know, well, we didn't like it. But this is like, you know, I'm not liking it because nothing different has happened. 
I know we we've spent a ridiculous amount of time talking about the bad, but I do want to talk about um, what you guys did like about the story because there are some points that are good about the story. And I will go first. I really like the art. The art was really the saving point for me for this story. And the thing is, you know, when I was talking to Don about when this issue first came out, I was thinking to myself, you know, if I had to give this an overall rating just on the story alone, I'd give it like a two, two and a half, just straight plain average because there's nothing new that comes out of it. It's not a bad story. There's nothing horrible that happens, but it's just average. The art is what really kind of bumps it up for me is the fact that the art really is good. Now, I don't know if those, the only art, problem that I had was those last few panels where they're showing the individual members of the Bat family, and I didn't know whether or not that was actually scripted like that, or if that was just Capullo's idea of how those characters would be spending their free time by themselves, but I didn't like that, but I thought the art throughout the entire issue was good. You know, he captured the the Bat family being jokerized and attacking each other very well. He captured the entire sequence of really making it believable that all of the faces were ripped off before Joker reveals that they weren't. So, like, in most senses, you know, the, the the suspicions that you may have about how the story could ha- could end up, I think were kind of hidden even more so because of Capullo's art. I absolutely agree. I think that, like, where the storytelling ended up failing, the art really succeeded. I love Artistically, I love the scene where all the, the, the Nightwing and the others uh, start getting affected by the Joker guys. I think it's creepy and really funny and cool, cool to watch. I think it's great. I actually thought it was a really cool twist. I thought that made sense because I was so disappointed by the face thing. They're like, you know, okay, that makes sense. And we've never seen them under the Joker guys. So it's like, oh, no, what's going to happen? Obviously, that was let down by what it does happen. But seeing all the members of that family kind of freaking out by the gas was cool. And I thought that, I mean... I can't say more about the art. The, mar- the art was perfect everywhere. I do say, and I, I think I've not mentioned this before, I think Greg Capullo, his only feeling is Bruce Wayne. Because he has a tendency to write, draw Bruce Wayne that he's smiling a lot of the time in ways which don't really warrant a smile. Like, most of the time, like even when Bruce Wayne is talking serious, I remember in Court of the Owls, he did this where, you know, he's talking to Alfred or Dick or whatever, and, like, he's being serious, but he always has this goofy look on his face. But besides that, I, I love the art, and, um, in terms of the story, I did like it when Batman was threatening him, saying, oh, I know who you are, you know, you're a sad little clown. And that freaked Joker out. I thought that made sense. And um, I like, I mean, I think generally, except for the whole how could you bit, where Batman didn't do anything, um, I think that Batman was written well here. But, um, I mean, th- this story wasn't worthless. This wasn't the worst story ever. I- I'm majorly disappointed to it in it more than the story actually does bad things. But um, So those were things I liked. I said earlier, I quite liked the bit where Joker was taunting Batman and saying about, uh, you know, um, why, why don't you kill me? Although it all led back to that, you know, it's because you love me thing, which, yeah, okay. Um, I did like the art. It was, it was a lot, this issue was a lot more colorful than a lot of the series has been. I guess partly because the Joker's wearing his big purple trench coat and, and the Bat family members, you got, you know, the greens and the yellows from the Robins and stuff, which I liked that a lot. I liked the, um, the reveal of Joker on the, on the title of the credit page was really good. And, um, the colors in there, I don't know, it's sort of, 
felt almost Silver Age to me for some reason. But um, yeah, the, I, yeah, I thought the art was good. I like, I quite like that point. I liked uh, Bruce checking on Damien first because it's his son and giving him the hug. Um, but uh, yeah, I thought it was well written as well. It's just it's all a bit familiar. Yeah, I like how we ranted and raved for um, an hour, and now we're we're scraping the bottom, trying to come up with uh, with some positives. I definitely agree with the art. Um, frankly, I'm gra- glad we don't have to look at the Joker's d- decomposing face anymore. It was getting rough to look at, and seeing that over and over again was bad. I wonder when he comes back what's going to happen. We're just going to look at him without... Muscle Man, we'll call him Muscle Man. Um, I I liked, even though it doesn't make sense, it doesn't make sense whatsoever, I liked the fact that love overcame all, um, and just with the Joker-fied family fighting it out, and then Alfred was able to stop them. Again, I'm a little concerned if there's going to be some um, after effects, uh, but but that was that was good. All right, so overall, I'm going to give Batman number 17 a total of Three and a half out of five batteries. I have heavy problems with it, and that's mainly due to disappointment. Um, also, story problems, to be honest. There are good things with it. Um, I can't give this a bad grade. I can't, because this wasn't a bad, I think this wasn't a bad comic, but uh, the best I can give it is a three out of five batteries. It's Snyder's weakest, but it doesn't, I, st- I still like him as a writer. I will give this a high 3.5, but it's still a 3.5. For all that was advertised and put forward, um, there was a lot riding on this, I think. Uh, and, and I trust and respect Snyder, but, uh, I feel like we were just let down in this regard. And there was a lot of suspense, but then it just turned into like squishy gack. Um, it was anticlimactic. Yeah. So I'm giving it a, a, a three out of five, but I just want to make a note that Batgirl I actually thought was a higher three than this one. All right, so Batman number 17 gets a total of three out of five batarangs. That is all our books. Let's start over to John with Bat Books for Beginners. Welcome to another episode of Bat Books for Beginners. I'm your host, John, and this week we're taking a look at Batman Aftershock. Now, this is a massive comic book series that followed on from Batman Cataclysm, which is something that we reviewed two weeks ago. It's a multiple group of issues spanning about 11 comics or so. It's never been collected in trade paperback form and can only be bought as single issues, but you can pick up most of them for around three or four pounds. Now, because it's separate issues and because we want to cover everything in a little bit more depth, we're going to be breaking it down into sections. We're going to be doing Batman 555 to 559 
And then next week we'll be covering Detective Comics. The week after that, The Shadow of the Bat issues. But I will tell you which ones you need to purchase beforehand so you can get them to read them along. This was written by Doug Monash, and it features different artists for each week. And they are John Beatty, Norm Brayfogle, Vince Garino, Jim Apro, and Bob Hall. So, let's find out whether it's going to be any good, or whether I will be experiencing a bad taste in my mouth. As we delve into Batman Aftershock. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. And I feel fine. We open with Batman and Robin trying to clear the Batcave. They succeed and then head out to rescue some commuters trapped in the subway. We then cut to Ratcatcher, who rescues a group of rats, promising them food. However, Batman sets off an explosion which echoes down the subway system, alerting the Ratcatcher of their presence, and he sets off to find them. Batman and Robin find the trapped commuters, but as they lead them to safety, the Ratcatcher appears. The Ratcatcher monologues about humans being evil, and Robin sneaks round the back, but before Tim can strike, Ratcatcher summons his rats, who all pile onto the subway car. Yet, the subway car can't take the weight, and it collapses, falling through the floor and sending the rats plummeting to their death. At that moment, Robin strikes and takes out the rat catcher, who leads them out the way he managed to come in after some persuasion by Batman. Issue 556 opens with Tim and Bruce cleaning out Wayne Manor's dining hall. They discuss how it has affected them, and Bruce especially. But before Tim and Bruce can get any deeper, they're interrupted by Dick and Alfred who suggests that to repair the cave and Wayne Manor, they should strip out the cave and just let the workmen in. Bruce agrees it is a good idea, but says for now they have to have work to do. So he suits up and heads out to rescue some people in a bank vault. However, these aren't ordinary people, but criminals working for Fast Frankie. They try and jump Batman and try to escape. The gang, of course, fail and are arrested once they escape from the bank vault. We then cut to a meeting in Wayne Towers held late at night. The board confirm that there will be no more aftershocks as the fault line has settled down, but also point out that with the amount of money back, uh, Bruce is spending, the company is taking a massive loss. Bruce tells them that he doesn't want to stop and isn't fussed, and then leaves. Bruce, as Batman, heads out to help. He saves a man who refuses to leave from a collapsing home. And the issue ends with Bruce talking to Vesper about how the city is and how people are pulling together. We then open in 557 to a villain called Ballistic, who is hired by a group of shadowy people to retrieve a lot of valets containing important evidence. However, Ballistic tells them that he is a good guy and will not do anything to harm people. We then move to Gotham and a lone guardsman who is lost. However, a gang hired to take down Ballistic by the group who hired him start taking shots at the trooper, mistaking him for Ballistic. This naturally attracts Batman, who rescues the trooper and starts to take the gang down. He's aided in this by Ballistic, who turns up halfway through. They exchange pleasantries until they are attacked again by more of the gang, who are once more easily dispatched. 
Ballistic and Batman finally enter the building containing the evidence, which in transpires was in fact heroin. But instead of taking the case back to the gang, Ballistic destroys it. 558 begins with Batman hugging Alfred, telling them that he can't handle death, and that Bruce says he's going to out to look for hope. We then cut to Jim Gordon and Sarah Essen on top of the Gotham Central Police Department, talking about how a number of people are leaving, and that Jim thinks he's failed them. It moves next to Vesper Fairchild, talking about the falling apart of Gotham. Rat plagues, packs of wild dogs, disease, fires raging out of control, no water, schools or housing. But praises the cops who are doing a great job, she says. The comic then jumps to Batman, who returns to his parents' grave. However, he comes across two people robbing graves. Batman takes them out easily, and he leaves to meet Vesper. While meeting Vesper, he breaks down and asks for hope, and she offers hers free of charge. And the comic finishes with Batman and Jim Gordon talking on the roof of the Gotham Central Police Department, discussing why people are leaving Gotham and how powerless they both feel. The final issue, 559, opens with Batman and Robin swinging through Gotham. They arrive on top of the Gotham Central Police Department and watch the hundreds of people leaving Gotham. Jim tells them that there's a siege at Massey Hospital. Whilst Bullock and Montoya Montoya arrive to hold the gang off, they struggle to do so and eventually are forced inside. Batman and Robin arrive and scare off one group, but they are not the only ones. And slowly but surely, Batman and Robin work their way through the gang members. Meanwhile, inside, Bullock and Montoya talk to the doctor and nurses about how they are coping with everything going on. As this is happening, the remaining gang members find a truck to use and smash it into the hospital. Batman and Robin arrive, taking down the gang, whilst Detective Bullock goes to help a nurse being held hostage. And the issue ends with a bridge out of Gotham collapsing, killing a number of people. I think there are some very good points. There's some great art from John Beatty, Norm Bray, Fogel, and Jim Aparo, and they really convey a dark, deep, scary Gotham, one that's been wrecked and damaged, and it looks very exciting, and it looks very interesting. And that artwork is particularly good. However, there are numerous bad points to this that I can't really get past. Doug Monarch can't write Batman at all. It's not a Frank Miller, I'm the goddamn Batman kind of writing, but it's nearly as bad. There are just periods that are really inconsistent with his character. I get that he's trying to add emotion and make Batman a deeper character, but it just fails on an ultimate level. For example, with Batman and Alfred in Batman 558 does make sense in a way, but then we've seen mass kind of deaths and destructions before. Batman has to deal with this on a daily basis. Saying he doesn't cope well with death is like a paramedic saying they can't stand the sight of blood. It's really stupid, and it makes no sense for Batman's character. We're talking about a man who has faced death numerous times, and faced other people's death as well. To say that he doesn't cope very well shows really a very deep lack of understanding of Batman's character. And there is a lot of really bad artwork as well. Bob Hall particularly can't draw faces. They're all very long, very thin, and look like they've been squashed into one of those buckets that a child gets at the seaside. It's quite a disturbing look, and I 
It's a really, really bad artwork, and that really lets down that issue completely. The problem ultimately is that the stories aren't that great at all. There's nothing that I would take away from this and go, that's a definitive Batman story, or that's a brilliant Batman story. And maybe it's because they're self-contained issues, which is in itself quite a good concept. It's nice to have a look at the after-effects of what is, by all accounts, a massive earthquake. But the problem is that they don't really hold up, and after a few issues, they get very, very boring very, very quickly. And I did have this problem with Cataclysm before, in that I think ultimately these stories could really be told in a couple of issues. We could just have one or two issues, rather than four that we've got. Ultimately, they're pretty unfulfilling. Half of them don't fulfill what they promised. Batman looking for hope finds none, which suggests that Whilst he went out looking for hope, he didn't find any, and therefore his ultimately futile and should have some kind of breakdown. And ultimately, they're just very disappointing. I wouldn't particularly want to pick these up if I didn't have to read them, and I don't think I would. This doesn't feel like it's any interconnected storyline or there's anything really meaningful going on. It just feels like they felt the need to carry it on, and that could have worked. But if they told other storylines based around the wreckage of Gotham, if the villains were still doing what the villains were doing, but we saw a damaged Gotham, one that had been wrecked and damaged, and that we kind of knew was suffering from the effects of the aftershocks and from the earthquake itself, but was continuing to tell storylines that were really a bit more meaningful than this, ultimately. And I think that's probably why I'm going to mark it down and only give it two out of five Batarangs. I think there's a great concept here, and that really does show. And I think that there's some great artwork, but the problem is, is that the stories themselves are boring, and it's ultimately let down by Doug Monash's writing, which isn't very good and doesn't really show any understanding of Batman, in my opinion. Now, maybe you feel differently about it. Maybe you think I'm completely wrong and want to tell me so. And if you do, please feel free to comment on the podcast in the feed itself on the website, which can be found at www.thebatmanuniverse.net. Or alternatively, you can leave a comment in the comic cast feed as well, and I will read them there also. And you can also leave a review on iTunes if you so wish. So next week, we will be looking at more Batman Aftershock, but this time in Detective Comics 722, 724, 75, and 726. So go out, pick those up, read them for next time, and join in the debate, and let me know what you think of those issues, and I'll try and read out some of your comments on the next podcast. So I've been John, your host. And thank you once again for listening. And now I'll hand you back over to Dustin and the guys. All right, so that was Bat Books for Beginners. Make sure you are checking out the next set of books for the next episode. Um, If you did not notice, we did not actually release the .5 episode for... January, uh, we specifically held off for uh, a couple reasons, but the the biggest reason is we are actually in need of another co-host, as one of the co-hosts that we have lined up um, is now is no longer going to be on it. So we need to actually find one more co-host for that point five episode. We will be recording that episode once a month, 
and we review on average between seven and nine books per episode. So you'd be looking at doing three books per episode yourself, like you like you hear on this show. Um, so if you're interested in becoming a co-host for that point five episode, email us at podcast at thebetmanuniverse.net, and we will try to get you set up. Uh, we are looking to try to record the first point five episode, which will cover the books from February, um, before the beginning of March. So there, again, is not that much time before we actually recording that, but if need be, we will obviously be holding off to releasing the point five episode until we can actually get another co-host. So please, if you are interested, email us, podcast at thebemuniverse.net. The other uh, reason we held off besides needing another co-host was in fact that we noticed that some of the stories that didn't actually play into Death of the Family were actually wrapping up uh, as far as story arcs go. There was a couple of different ones that were wrapping up, and we knew that February, obviously, some of them would be starting a little bit fresher. So that was another reason. Now, obviously, that is going to all be dependent on whether or not we can find another co-host before we would be releasing that one. But needless to say, again, podcast at thebatmeuniverse.net if you are interested. With that, um, as far as listener Q&As, we didn't have any specific Q&As to actually go over, so we will skip that because we spent so much time on Batman, and we will basically just close out the episode from there. So, you can head over to the website to find all of the latest news related to movies, comic, TV, merchandise, video games, and general news. You can also find numerous editorials from all of the staff, including co-hosts from this very show. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube for all the latest news and videos from the Batman universe. You can leave us reviews on iTunes. Those are always greatly appreciated. You can check out all of our other podcasts that we have to offer. We have tons of them, including the newest one, The Batman Universe Taking Flight, which is a podcast that focuses on Robin. You can check that out. Also, you can check out The Batman Universe Batfans, Back with the Oracle, We have new commentaries that have released this month as well. Lots of different things that are happening within the Batman Universe, so be sure to check out thebatmanuniverse.net for all of the latest happenings. And of course, as I mentioned, you can email us at podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net with questions, comments, or concerns that you'd like to be answered on the next episode, as well as leave your comments in the podcast post in the comment section below it. That is everything for this episode. This is Dustin. This is Donovan. This is Jai. And this is Stella. You've been listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. We'll see you guys. We next love time. you. Please send us questions. To be in love, you <laughs> must be. <laughs> Who's in the airplane? It's me. Which uh, flight are you taking? Southwest Airlines? No. Uh, private jet. Europe. <laughs> private jet. <laughs>
Batman. The books that they are canceling is Deathstroke, Fire of the Fire, Fury of the Firestone. Ugh. Try that again. Fire of the Fart. Okay. What? <laughs> <laughs> what the hell happened? I don't know. <laughs> I don't, maybe I'm being immature. It's just Thomas Wayne's special place got me. <laughs> oh, sorry. The ramen wow. weeds. <laughs> oh, <clears throat> My throat's having problems. <laughs> I, I didn't know that made you laugh. <laughs> but, uh, I guess that's how we do, Stella. That's how we do over in England. Just shoot people in the face. Okay. Yeah. Why are you telling me? Is that a threat? Get, get it over and done with. I mean, you know, one more bad impression, and I'm going to come over there with shoddy. <laughs> Pull out the Roscoe. Buck up, buck up, buck. Yeah. Uh, Joe, time to pull that shotgun out. <laughs> I can see Joe doing that in the tuxedo. Alright, so Batman and Robin number 17, I'm going to give a total of three and a half out of five batterings. <laughs> Dustin's rare tonight. I'm giving this a five. Like, like, come on. <laughs> Justin, what is up with you? He's a, gr- he's a mean one. Mr. Grinch. Hoping to find clues as to who the target of the... Uh, hoping to find clues as to the target of the League of Shadow... The League... For <laughs> sake. Hoping to... <laughs> and uses the photo... photogrammet... photogrammetry... Snyder, you... (laughs) 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 and he's the photo... (laughs) The issue starts off with basically Batman dreaming of a... White Christmas? A... (laughs) (laughs) What's on that one? Uh, Joe, what do you think? You've been kind of quiet. I was thinking... (laughs) Uh, what do I think about what specifically, sorry? No, anything. What do you think about the story? You haven't talked that much. I... Oh. You should be used to goofy faces from watching Minmay so much. I love Minmay. <laughs> why? Why? All the time. As I was editing the last episode, I kept thinking, why does this show come <laughs> Watch the Minmay show so weekdays at 9. Why? I don't want to go too much into it because I can't. I gave up shipping for Lent. What an interesting. Well, it has to be something tough, you know. Yes. Do you go with the thing where you're allowed to indulge on Sundays? No, I've been trying to just like. That's fasting. <laughs> it's forty days. It's forty days, and then yeah, that doesn't include Sundays the Sundays. Sundays days, yeah. Well, it's just okay. with Batman oh, universe. Do you ever think that there's something wrong with us? Hell no. I wonder I about know. you sometimes. I love but... I have... Oh, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Snyder will never be on our show again. Have a nice day.